The Hour of Devastation, reviewed by Stephen and Kevin on episode 68 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to episode 68 of So Many Insane Plays, our Hour of Devastation review. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. What's up, everyone? If you have any comments or questions, you can tweet us at many insane plays, email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com, or leave feedback on Eternal Central, MTG Cast, or TheManadrain.com. Or just tweet bomb us. <laughs> announcements this episode we don't have much news i want to point out that the eternal weekend hotel block is recently opened it was a little bit of a false start for eternal uh, sorry card titan with their area hotels but i think they've got it straightened out so if you don't have your hotel for eternal weekend now's a good time to check steve you have some new articles coming up well i do have another chapter in my history of vintage series coming out mm-hmm. uh, by the time this uh podcast post it should be live it's the history of vintage 2005 which was a pretty cool year in the history of the, of the format. We talked a little bit, I think, about it in a couple podcasts ago where we talked about some of the Star City game series. Mm-hmm. And then 2006 and 7 will be actually coming out shortly thereafter that. My goal is to get the whole thing done, that is 25 years by next year's anniversary, 25th anniversary of Magic. Awesome. We'll turn it into a, yeah, we'll turn it into a fat book that will uh, circulate around, but um, the chapters are really fun to read individually as well. So the digital chapters, you know, sure to pick them up, but if you want to get the whole thing compiled, we'll have it compiled and, and published sometime next year. Jaco says it's going to be one of the greatest <laughs> books in Magic history <laughs> about Magic. <laughs> I look forward to seeing the hardcover of it in the future. It's going to be great. Also, Eternal Central, just to plug, Eternal Central has the month of old school content. And that month was June, although it's only half done. So it's the old school uh, it's the old school Eternal Central months, plural, <laughs> <laughs> because there he's continuing to to populate through through June at least uh, backdated. But that's cool. Every day is a new old school deck primer, so it's pretty cool. Check it out. Yeah, I was just reading the Reanimator one just today. It's cool stuff. That one's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So. We don't have many announcements this episode, but we're going to go into what we usually do for each set review, which is our prior set report card. So let's talk about how we did for Amonkhet. Now, Steve, Amonkhet didn't have very many cards that we predicted appearances by. And sure enough, for the likes of Gideon of the Trials, As Foretold, Shadow of the Grave, Glorious End, and Soulscar Mage, we predicted zeros, and the results were zeros across the board. That's good, because I don't remember what any of those cards are. (laughs) Well, it's worth noting that Rich Shea did win a daily with two copies of As Foretold and a Mentor deck. Oh, As Foretold, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so it, Rich Rich put in a good effort to make that card go, and it, it just didn't pan out. There is one exception to our usual uh, double zeros. Well, hold on. Hold on. His his deck used As Foretold, and I assumed it used the four, what was it, Ancestral Visions? Um, honestly, that version I don't think did. He had an Oath deck that had the Ancestral Visions, but I don't think his Mentor deck did. I think he was just <laughs> using it for value. 
Really? Wow. Yeah, I'd have to go back and double check, but yeah. He, he, he definitely put in the effort to make that one work, Rich did. As I started to say, Manglehorn is an interesting case because you and we I both predicted zero. Yes, absolutely. But we, but we spent a lot of time on it. Yes, we did. And we both predicted zero, but there was one appearance. Manglehorn showed up in the sideboard of, of all things, Oath, that was played by KF Chicken to a second place finish, yes. finish in the Vintage <laughs> yeah. Challenge on, on uh, June 26th. I, I seem to recall losing to him with it. I don't remember. I think what he actually did, you said June 26th? Yes. I don't. I didn't face him in that challenge, but I definitely faced him in a challenge. I think it might have been the one before, maybe the 610 challenge or, or thereabouts. And he used Manglehorn. He essentially was playing Punishing Oath, right? Yes. So it's got the Punishing Fire combo as an alternative win condition. Mm-hmm. So it's not entirely dependent upon actually triggering Oath of Druid. But I do recall him, I think he cyborged out all of the oaths and brought in Manglehorn and just Manglehorned me and then <laughs> Punishing fired me. And the Manglehorn, uh, if I recall correctly, it doesn't just destroy an artifact. It yeah. also makes all of your artifacts come into play tap. Right. So, And I think I was playing, you know, this is actually a while back now. It wasn't the June challenge. But I think I faced him when I was playing one of my Paradoxical Mentor decks. And so I brought in, like, I don't know, Fragmentize and Cage. Mm-hmm. And he brought this thing in, and it completely hoses Paradoxical paradoxical outcome. Yeah, it's Be- pretty disruptive to that strategy. Pretty cool. He did not make top eight in that one where you faced him, though. But here he got second place. He had one copy of Manglehorn in his sideboard, so... And his is the the only and best finish that's above sixteen players for that card. It's not like it's it's becoming a thing. I don't think it's well. The just, card is I think he was enamored play- with it. Well, the card is definitely playable, and yeah. I think the reason it's playable is because not only is it useful, just you know, it's an Uktabi orangutan that destroys artifacts, but it hoses paradoxical outcome. So that is that is value in this format where people are playing a lot of paradoxical outcome decks. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not sure. You know, it's not exactly efficient, but I certainly think it's playable, especially as a sideboard surprise sideboard tactic. Well, I mean, it's he, useful to have something that can be good both against decent, I'd say, against a workshop deck, and also quite useful against paradoxical outcome. And any time that bug becomes more of a thing in the near future, we'll be reconsidering Manglehorn, I think, because it plays good role in that deck. Agreed. Next up is the largest. Uh, controversy slash surprise of the set, and that is by force. You and I discussed it at great length. You predicted one. I predicted two. The actual was 18. 18 copies. I'm not surprised now that you say it, simply because I've been seeing it everywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, we definitely thought it would be playable, but I think we felt its limitations were greater than its upside. I still feel that way, by the way. We talked about this in the last podcast, so Mm -hmm. I won't repeat I'll just direct people to my discursive aside on by force. <laughs> right. Well, I would point out that I examined each one of these appearances. Uh, all but three of them were in the sideboard. A couple of people ran one in the main deck. And yeah. all of them were one or two copies as part of a suite of four to five artifact removal spells. So in conjunction with your fragmentize, your ingotures, your disenchants and wear tears, that kind of thing. The majority, the plurality were in um, 
Jeskai mentor lists of different types, some of them having paradoxical outcome these days, and then a, a smattering here and there in, in other lists, but mostly the appearances in Jeskai mentor and mostly as a one-of or a two-of in a sideboard. Notably, Vito Picozo had a copy in his list that recently made the top eight of the NYSE Open 5. <clears throat> so it appears that Byforce is here to stay, so to speak, but you and I are both in agreement that it's not exactly where you want to be in most situations in the workshop matchups coming from the Jeskai mentor perspective, at least. Certainly not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you're a big fan, again, of Ingot Chur, and I continue to be a big fan of Just Fragmentize and, and Herkel's Recall. Uh, I, we'll see. We'll see where things go. Byforce is certainly playable, and it's certainly definitely. been good enough to make several top eights and to definitely upset our expectations a little bit. But it certainly does appear that as a one or a two of an sideboard, it's, it's going to be a mainstay going forward. Next up, we have Harsh Mentor. You predicted zero. I predicted one. The actual was three. Shortly after <laughs> the set went live. Oh, wait, I predicted one? You, you predicted zero. Oh, okay. And I predicted All one. Right. Shortly after the set went live, you, you'll recall, and we discussed this briefly in past episodes, that there was a bit of an uptick in blue-red Delver decks, and many of them hinged on this Harsh Mentor. And they did pretty well in some dailies for a while, and they put up a couple of larger performances, three of them. Yeah, I... I would put I would frame it slightly differently. I think okay. rather than uptick in Delver, we've seen a, a renovation of Delver. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I like that renovation. It's yes, been, it's, it's it, a different animal than it was before. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, adapted for you know the fact that you can only play one gush. Right. Um, Harsh Mentor gives it. I mean, it's interesting. It's not like like Monastery Mentor or Jeskai Mentor really will take much damage from Harsh Mentor. Right. But. It can be very effective at winning the damage race, like against a workshop deck. Right. And it, it still narrows options vis-a-vis -vis fetch lands and planes. Not doesn't hit sure. planeswalkers, just vis-a-vis -vis fetch lands. But uh, the, the card got some love during the coverage of the NYSE Open as um, Andy and Mike discussed it, and especially with respect to workshops. And, and Mike said... He produced a pretty good anecdote during that coverage, which was, given the prevalence of Walking Ballista, your opponent puts down a, a Harsh Mentor, and you play your Walking Ballista, and you suck up four damage to, to kill it. And it's not the end of the world, right? It's only four damage. You're like, okay, that's taken care of. Then they play another one. <laughs> and then you look down at your board of Ravagers and... And maybe another Ballista in hand and uh, Mishra's Workshop, not Mishra's Workshop, Mishra's Factory, excuse me, Wastelands, etc. And you start to realize, oh, wait a second, you know, they're chipping away with damage with Delver and this Grizzly Bear and their Lightning Bolts. And all of a sudden, I can't just afford to kill another one necessarily. Right. And so... I think the card is, it's obviously uh, has not become dominant, but it's its just on the cusp of being damaging enough to modern workshops to to toss that matchup in your favor from the Delver side. And I think that alone is enough to make it attractive, and, and we'll c continue to see people experimenting with it. Looking forward to it. Next is Failure to Comply, and we should probably just rename it Failure to Show Results, because you predicted one, I predicted two, the actual was zero. I'd like to point out, however, that I did make top eight at a small local event with failure to comply in in my blue-white mentor deck, and it was okay. It was actually pretty good. Uh, unfortunately, that deck, that, sorry, that tournament was below our threshold of attendance for me to include to, uh, include in the results. I think it was only fourteen people. But we thought 
we thought this card would appear if anywhere in dredge decks right that well that was one of two possible homes yeah and i i do think that dredge will should keep this on their radar but the only way i tested it was in mentor and it was decent it was decent but not great interesting yeah there's one other honorable mention for our review, and that is a card we did not review, was brought to my attention by Andy Probosco uh, later on, and I, I chided him for not mentioning it to us on Twitter, but that's the way things go. The card is Grasping Dunes. Uh, Steve, you and I didn't review it, but this is the desert that makes colorless mana, and you can put one mana into it and sack it. Well, you can sack a desert and put a minus one, minus one counter on target creature. So it's colorless removal, functions as a land. And Andy was saying he thought it would a good role player in a world filled with all of the current workshop creatures, Interesting. right? Especially yeah. Revoker. And sure enough, it put up one appearance. It, uh, that is to say, one top eight. And the deck that it showed up in was surprised me a little bit because it wasn't the use case that Andy was talking about at all. It was in the sideboard of DPS. What? DPS that Desolutionist played to a second place finish in the April 30th Vintage Premier event. Second place, DPS had one copy of Grasping Dunes in its sideboard. <laughs> and I I honestly am, am struggling a little bit to understand what his impetus was for including it in this particular sideboard. Because this is one of those decks that doesn't really care about Phyrexian Revoker that much. Right. So... I mean, yes, Revoker still hits mana sources, etc. But I, I just found it really interesting. Maybe he was trying out, trying to make some kind of statement. I don't know. But that's one that we did not review, and it has one solid appearance. Well, the completists among our audience may want to pick one up, but I think it's clear that the most evidently playable card is by force, and yes. pretty much everything else is a smattering behind that. Is that what Abs I'm hearing from you? Yeah, absolutely. Harsh Mentor is the next most at three, and it has not continued to put up results. All right. So with that, let's talk about one hour of devastation. Steve, for Alvar of Devastation, we normally do a, a bit of a mechanics review for each set, but this set is really light on new mechanics. It reuses a lot of the mechanics from Amonkhet, that is, the split cards with Aftermath, the gods, the minus one, minus one counters, all the cycling. There's not that much new. There is a new combat mechanic called Afflict, which triggers off when you block a creature, which means it's it's going to be rarely applicable in vintage. It's just a damage-based thing, mostly. And there's kind of a cycle, or, yeah, there's a cycle of new modal spells, which is not a new mechanic, but it's something that's that stands out from the design of this set. Just mechanically, there's not mu that much new. Well, my question is, the thing that I'm most interested in is less the mechanics, which, as you said, are, are mostly repeats, than the invocations. Are the invocations all new in this set? That no. is, were they not in uh, Amonkhet, or are they the same ones that were in Amonkhet? Uh, okay, when you said, are they new, I thought you meant, are they all new cards? No, no. But they are all new invocations for this set. Okay. And the invocations in Amonkhet, just as this set, are almost entirely reprints, with the exception of the gods. So Scarab this set is God, the same the way. the Locust God, yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. So it's the same model here. They are all otherwise new reprints, if that's uh, if you take my meaning. Yes, yeah, I'm looking at Doomsday right now, and, you know, that's one of my favorite cards in the art. 
the art yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it is. I mean, the doom the uh, uh, the invocation art is definitely its strong point. The art in this entire set is. I mean, I am a fan of the older art for mm-hmm. a lot of reasons, the aesthetic. But one of the things, one of my chief complaints about the aesthetic of Magic in in more recent years, if not decades, is that the art has just become too busy, too complicated to really appreciate on a small Magic card, right? Mm-hmm. And and they've la- they've moved away from that kind of simple iconic style. I feel like to some extent this is a little bit of a return. Like obviously the Nickel Bolas art is sweet. Uh, I really, I really like Bantu's Last Reckoning. It's just a piece of art, you know. It, it's, yeah. it's a little bit of a throwback, and it is. I don't know if it's too much, but I, there's a good portion of the lands in this set that just have Nicol Bolas horns on them in some one regard or another. It's a little no, bit. That's by design. Yeah, no, I, I, I know that, but what I mean is, it's almost comical. It's almost over the top. It's like, <laughs> you know, there's like, there's a whole cycle of lands that has Nicol Bolas horns on them. And then there's right. others that have like nickel boloss horns in the ruins or hidden behind things, you know. Anyway, well, when you name yourself God Pharaoh, there's you know humility is not really high on the list. So, <laughs> yeah, he set himself up as the as the <laughs> god of this plane. <laughs> He's and clearly those the horns mar- are part of it. The marquee card, right? Yeah, exactly. In more ways than one. So let's get down to business. We reached out on Twitter asking all of you to provide us those cards you're interested in hearing from. And we reviewed the spoiler ourselves and, and added any that we thought were important. But the feedback from Twitter was was quite good this time. So we do have a couple on here that I think are, well, I think that you're going to find that our predictions for playability are also light for this set. But I'm not going to bury the lead any longer. Up first, we have the Locust God. For you are legendary creature god flying. Whenever you draw a card, create a 1-1 blue and red insect creature token with flying and haste. Stop right there. If there's yeah. if there's one thing that's missing in vintage, it's token generation. <laughs> really lacking. Really lacking in that mechanic. Right. I think that the format for the last few years has trained people to appreciate cards like this. But we're not done. Two blue-red colon. Draw a card, then discard a card. When the Locust God dies, return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step, 4-4. Four, four. Yet another in a long line of exceedingly exceedingly simple and easy to grok cards, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Why does this keep happening? So we have a six-mana creature at face value. How many six-mana creatures see play in Vintage? I can think of one. The Dromoka. I think, th- uh, I think another dragon. No, I was thinking of Consecrated Sphinx is what I was thinking of. Dra- well, Dragon Lord Dromoka, Brian... Brian Kelly has been a champion of the yeah. Dragon Lords, uh, and I've seen him play at least two of them. Uh, yes. I do like the uncounterable one. It, it is nice, and especially the one it, the one that gains life with Sylvan Library. It is it can actually be devastating, but the prevalence of Plow, you know, at the time Dragon Lord Dromoka was being used, it was just like bolts everywhere. Now the fact that Plow is so omnipresent, I think right. it's lost quite a bit of its luster. Yeah, but I would agree with you there. And Dragon Lord Dromoka has a huge body compared to this. She's five seven. This thing yeah. is 4-4. Four, four. And as I said, uncounterable. Yeah. So what you're saying is is that the size of this thing doesn't really impress you compared to other options. A 4-4 four, four is occasionally going to just die in combat to workshop creatures and to mentors even. But we so know that the size, is, the size is misleading. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it does generate fairly quickly uh, a swarm of insect tokens. <laughs> they can attack, you know, the same turn it comes into play. 
or they come into play. Right. I think that's not to be understated, the fact that they have haste, right? Right. So... I mean, for example, go ahead. I have an example, but you go first. Well, the the six mana cost means that the odds of drawing cards after you've resolved this are pretty slim. I could think of two things that you could reasonably do after paying six for this, and one of them is Gush, the other one is Sensei's Divining Top. Those are ways that you could produce tokens the turn you play this and get in for some damage. But on the following turn, it's not unreasonable to expect that with a series of cantrips and something like Thirst for Knowledge or Brainstorm or Jace or Dak... And its its own built-in ability. And it's, well, yeah, it's own built-in ability. There's no reason to believe you couldn't generate four to six tokens this to turn after you play this. And, you know, just as I say that, I realize the Planeswalkers could all happen after you resolve this on your turn. So I could very well see a scenario where you play this yeah. and then Dak. have Dak and Jace. Yeah. And that's five cards. That's a lot yeah. of damage. That's a lot of damage pretty fast. And if you've got any other way to su- uh, supplement that with Gush or with Top or with Preordains and whatnot, that could, that could be lethal fast. This could be lethal on the next turn. If you start with a planeswalker in play, let me let me just step back. This is a kind of a random aside, but these gods here, and I don't remember whether Emoncott had gods or not, but it did. Weren't there weren't there gods in older sets that had some sort of ability, like if you under certain conditions they flip or they turn into creatures? Yeah. So for history, the Theros gods, which were in the th- entire Theros block, yes, they started out not as creatures. They you had to have the devotion to their That's color. Right. That's it. Uh, for it was five for the monocolored ones, seven for the dual colored ones, and they and then they became creatures. <clears throat> the the uh, Amonkhet gods, the five of them, are creatures that are always creatures, but they can't attack or block unless you meet conditions. So in the case of uh, Hazaret, for example, you had to have below a certain number of cards in your hand, or with Bantu, you have to sacrifice a creature, that kind of thing, in order for them to attack or block. These three Hour of Devastation gods are just online all the time, and they have the, the all three of them have the condition at the bottom that says when they die, return them to your hand at the beginning of next upkeep. End step. I'm sorry, end step. Sorry, end step. <clears throat> that last bit being a little less useful in Vintage because, as you already stated, that Swords to Plowshares, the preeminent removal spell, will circumvent that particular benefit. Yeah. I do think the Locust God is a real threat, though. Can't, should you survive to the point of getting it into play... And have any kind of setup to go with it, any kind of support in terms of one of the planeswalkers or any of the draw spells I mentioned, it could really get out of hand pretty fast. I think there's a tension, and the tension is that the color combination in which this card is um, inhabits uh, is pretty defensive, not particularly aggressive. So, like if you're playing this in Blue Moon, for example, um, is this better than Consecrated Sphinx, which will, I think, spiral more out of control? In, ter- in other words. Would you rather have something that spirals out of control in terms of card advantage or something that spirals out of control in terms of token generation, right? I mean, right. this this kind of tries to split the difference, and I'm not sure it's entirely effective. I think. Well, I think in, another in, way uh, another way to frame what you're saying is that you could have tokens in a similar quantity for a third or a half of the mana cost. You could have Young Pyromancer on two instead of this on six. You could have Talrand on four and yep. better tokens. Yep. Um, so I agree with you there. The token generation is not the most efficient option. And going back to your initial joke about uh, Vintage really does need some token generation, this is pretty darn slow by comparison. Now, granted, it can happen fast once you hit six, but there's a lot of games when you're going to be dead before you do. 
Yeah, and and Gitaxian Probe and Gush are both restricted. So right, this right. card loses a lot of its potential yeah. with both of those restrictions. I also think that the um, – I understand why it costs so much, but the paying four mana to draw and then discard a card is not really a good deal. <laughs> no, it's 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 pretty badly costed. Really, that effect yeah. has costed a lot less in the past. Yep, I mean that's jammed a tome to draw a card. Now right. you have to also just loot. Yeah. No, thank you. A- Azure Mage. You remember when we reviewed Azure yes. Mage? Yeah. And what it was, was too what much was, for just Azure the, Mage is a two one for two that has just three two. U draw a card. Oh yeah, it's it's a three U draw. Yep. Yeah. And we agree that that was overcosted at the time, and it has been. I'm a hard pass on this card. I don't even think... I think if it sees play, it'll see play in a Blue Moon type deck. But um, I just don't think it's better than Consecrated Sphinx for that type of strategy. It's possible that generating the tokens is useful, I don't know, against workshops. But I just don't see the token generation being fast enough against Dredge. I'm a hard pass. Okay. I am not quite so down on this card, but... I definitely believe it has an uphill climb to see play anywhere. Uh, it had was this a different year? I might point out Grixis as a home for this because it's, it seems like a decent finisher in a Grixis deck that's already running the sufficient planeswalkers, etc. <clears throat> that said, I tend to agree with you. Another thing we haven't pointed out yet is that this is blue and suffers a lot from the just the gobs and gobs of pyroblasts that are played oh, in vintage God. right now. Yeah, main deck everywhere. Right. So you can't just toss this in Jeskai Mentor and expect to succeed when your opponent is pre-boarded with five removal spells for it already. So, yeah, yeah, I think this could have a place at some future point when we don't have as many Pyrobrasts and Plows if the format shifts, but that is not today. So Mm-mm. I'm going to go ahead and say zero as well. <clears throat> Next, we have Leave to Chance, a split card. Leave is one white instant return any number of target permanence you own to your hand chance is three red sorcery aftermath discard any number of cards then draw that many cards this is clearly <laughs> applicable to paradoxical outcome decks right as a hercules recall variant to increase your storm and or mana what's the hercules recall for yourself that's um that's i think it's one blue i think you're Sounds like you're talking about retract. Yes, that's it. Retract yeah. is return all artifact you control. Yeah, so that's yep. just it, it's an instant Hercules just for you. So it's like it's kind of like retract and into Tolarian winds, something like that, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, windfall for yourself, but you can choose the cards. I mean, chance is a powerful effect, but it's four mana, and the theory that you would cast this plus leave in the same turn is four white red. That's kind of a lot to expect. It's just a lot. To yeah, it's twice seven. as much as as Tolarian wins, but yeah. it does set up Tolarian wins. So, you, like you said, you get the you can like tap all your mana, float it all, return all to your hand, and exchange it for some good stuff. Yeah, but that's six mana, as you as you pointed out. Right. I I could envision just playing Leave in a Paradoxical Outcome deck because it would allow you to use other card types other than artifacts repeatedly, just like Outcome itself does. Right. So you can bounce a Snapcaster with this and replay it. True. And if there were other non-artifact permanents that you wanted to do that with, I'm not coming up with a great example right now, but if there were, it would apply in a way that Hercules Recall does not. It also works the same way as, say, uh, Hercules Recall does with Sensei's Divining Top. So you have basically all the Hercules Recall interactions that don't disrupt your opponent with a little bit more options for how you could use it. 
If you ever wanted to, you could pick up a land with this, for example. And it's ironic that this says own just the mm-hmm. way Hercules Recall says own. So it returns things that are stolen by Dak as well, which is funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it says own. It's just one other one better way to make this leave card a little bit better. So it's uh, if you ignore the aftermath part and just look at leave, would you ever be compelled to play this over Hercules Recall and Paradoxical Outcome? Nope. Not that I, I can would enjoy. Yeah, I would enjoy to bounce Snapcaster every once in a while, but Snapcaster and Trinket Mage. Yeah. But those cards are usually one ofs in those decks. You can use this to reset Planeswalkers. Well, Trinket Mage. Matters. Trinket Mage appears appears in greater quantities than Singletons. It's often sure. played as a two of. Sure. I can't think of a deck that obviously Just Guy Mentor plays with Dak Faden, and Dak Faden is a good Planeswalker to bounce. I guess there's also Jace Telepath Unbound, who is effectively a good Planeswalker to bounce if you've minused him this turn. Replay it as a Jace Vrinz Prodigy, but that's that's not that much value. I don't know. I'm a big fan of Hercules Recall and Paradoxical Outcome decks, and I don't think the the small bit of extra flexibility in this one outweighs the efficiency and disruptiveness of Hercules in the workshop matchup. I'm inclined to say zero. Yeah, it's it's difficult to envision a really strong a really strong use for this that is either a situation or a deck where both of these effects are going to be really powerful um you know there are already enough compact ways to cycle through your deck quickly and there's like you know if you want to draw your deck you you can just play paradoxical outcome right now or ad nauseum or whatever so why would you spend a white and four colorless and a red just to get one use it's just not enough value nor is enough situational value Just to counterpoint that a little bit, I think the clear use case is to turn where the the slots where you're playing Hercules Recall today to turn those into potential draw spells, right? But you don't get the other side of the effect, which is to give you an out against Workshop's main deck. Well, I I completely agree. You're you're totally right. I'm just pointing out that this, I mean, you can ostensibly have, you know, eight to ten draw sevens in an outcome deck if you toss these into those disruption slots. But the outcome... But I don't think it's worth it. Outcome wants you to have all the permanents in play for subsequent <laughs> outcomes. So you're yes. you, you're going to be... if Even if you were to play this in an outcome deck, your next outcome would be small. Um, so You're not wrong, and I think that dissynergy is probably the nail in the coffin here. Yeah, it's, you know, hard if, to, it's hard to imagine, even in a completely different vintage format, like where Workshops was a smaller part of the metagame, it's just hard to envision you getting enough value out of this at six mana. It's just too expensive. Yeah. It actually, ironically, would be, I think, have a better home in the older draw seven decks. You know, the burning long kind of decks. Yeah. Is a sorcery. Well, yeah, because you can burning wish for it is secondary, though, to the point that you made earlier about those decks don't rely on you keeping all your artifacts to keep the engine going, right? So you can burning wish for chance, even even though leave is an instant? Yes, because this card is an instant and a sorcery. Yeah, yeah, so that would be like a sideboard slot where you could Burning Wish for Chance, play Leave just to generate a bunch of mana, replay your mana, and then Chance. But you guys, you wouldn't necessarily replay the mana, but you might want to. You might, you want might to need replay. to, you might yeah. want to, yeah. Well, the flexibility there is actually a pretty big benefit, right? If you've only got enough mana to produce five, but then you play Leave and you put some of them down, leave some of them in your hand, I mean, the flexibility is actually kind of nice there. Yep. Because it doesn't have to be a draw the, seven. The, mana co- the inefficiency, the mana cost is the problem here. Absolutely. Yeah. White red is just not where you want to be in most historical and modern combo decks. Okay. Shall I put you down for zero? Yep. Next, we have Hollow One. For five, artifact creature Golem. Hollow One costs two generic less to cast. 
For each card you've cycled or discarded this turn, cycling two, it's four, four. So first card, at the moment this card was spoiled, everyone said, hey, this card's free as soon as you activate a Bazaar of Baghdad. <laughs> and that's pretty neat. Yes, it is. So just <laughs> you can recontextualize this card as a zero mana four, four that can only be played in Dredge. <laughs> Fair. And you have to have the Bazaar, but you always have the Bazaar almost with every keepable hand in Dredge, at least in game one. So if you recontextualize it in that, is a zero mana four, four good enough in Dredge? It probably is. That's interesting. That is to say, it's competitive a, with the other creatures in the it, deck, like it, uh, Prized Amalgam. Yeah, it could also provide a very useful sideboard strategy. Instead of trying to fight hate, all you have to do is just, you know, bizarre until you find one of these, or all of these, and then yep. just race. You're, you're totally right. And that is another angle for this card, is it sidesteps Cage, it sidesteps Rest in Peace, it sidesteps Leyline and Containment Priest, and basically everything, save Moat, I guess. <laughs> It has dissynergy with Serenity, which I'm sure people have yeah, Moat is not, considering playing. Moat it. is not exactly your number one anti no, anti dredge yeah. card. Yeah. yeah. That's why I, I chuckled when I said it. It's relevant, but not highly relevant. <clears throat> I think you're totally right. I think the combination of the fact that it's very efficient and it dodges hate means it's very worth considering in dredge. And it's also a, a reasonable competitive body. It doesn't have the returning value of a Bloodgast or a prized amalgam exactly, or an Icarid. But it makes up for that by being larger than all of them and <laughs> also faster, ultimately. Well, okay, faster is kind of a misnomer. It's down on turn one where prized amalgams usually don't enter play until turn two. You know, it also strikes me that this could, I don't know if it's playable, but it, it, Uba, Uba, Ma, Uba Stacks has used Bizarre Baghdad with Goblin Welder. You know, you could easily imagine, I don't know, playing Bizarre on turn one, using the Bizarre, playing this, and then, like, next turn, if you have a Welder, you could weld this out for something even bigger a turn later. That's really interesting. I hadn't considered that. There's so much to unravel with that, what you've just proposed there, primarily because Welder is so weak in the mental misstep environment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That could certainly work as cheap fuel and a, and a decent late, uh, early to mid-game threat, but... I'd like to point out the dis-synergy once you actually get Uba Mask and Bazaar going because yeah. you don't actually ever have enough cards to discard once you've got that, that, that combo going. Yeah, so you probably would not be playing with Uba Mask anymore. Yeah. Well, at any rate, that's, that's interesting. This is relevant in a Bazaar Welder-style deck. You're right. It's also notable that, that Dredge... First of all, this card increases the value, I assume, across the magic landscape of Street Wraith. Since Street Wraith is one of the free cyclers in the in in mat, constructed magic, right? Mm -hmm. True. Um, and also, Dak Faden is a way that you can get this down to one mana. Oh yeah, and one mana is a totally reasonable price <laughs> for a four four, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> but zero mana four four with Bizarre is is nuts. <laughs> I mean, it's that's a pretty good card. You're making me wonder if current workshop builds can manipulate maybe, this at all. Maybe there's just maybe. no looting in the current workshops. Maybe we're talking about an affinity deck that now uses bazaars as a way to cheat this into play, and th and that can kind of get more value, you know, with welder. It just throws in welder as like an affinity deck. Why not? I mean, you could easily play, um, you know, affinity with um, skull clamp, right? Yep. Why not? So maybe akin to tiny robots. Something like that, but with bazaars and this. Interesting. You could even isn't there? Um, <sighs> come on, brain. <laughs> there are there is an artifact that used to be see play in some of the New York Stacks decks that searches for land. 
that could be used as kind of a one-off as well. What was oh, the name? You're, you're talking about yeah, expedition map. Yeah, expedition map, right? Yeah, and and for those who may not remember, there's there was have been a handful of different builds of workshop decks that had between one and four expedition maps to get a mixture of tabernacles and dark depths at times and just the other utility lands. Oh, Kevin, Kevin, you know, do you remember Oshawa Stompy? Oshawa Stompy? Absolutely, I do. With uh, Wild Mongrel and Nullrod and... uh, Bizarre. It used bizarres. Yeah, but it also had Root Maze and... An Arrogant Worm and Nullrod. Basking Root Walla. Yeah. Yep. Maybe this is the maybe this is the revival of Oshawa Stompy. I mean, Nolrod has never been better right now, right? I right. mean, if Nolrod's you could, good. you could literally activate Bizarre. Imagine activating Bizarre and putting Rootwalla and this into play simultaneously. Well, that that's would be pretty cool. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. You know what? It also <laughs> that's funny. It also makes me think about just having wild mongrels in Dredge, but <laughs> but better than that though because. The um, the old school Dredge and Reanimator style decks played with um, just a moment. Putrid Imp. I was just about to say that. Yeah, before there was. I played with Putrid Imp in my Star <laughs> yeah. City Games Power Nine Dredge deck. That's right. Before there was the modern builds, they played with Putrid Imp, which is just straight up Wild Mongrels activated ability, right? I mean, in the sense that if you just need to discard cards, it's it's one mana cheaper. Doesn't provide the same kind of power, but once you get to threshold, it's a two-two flyer. It's it's not insignificant. Interesting. If you were to play, I, I wonder if this that the metagame is actually kind of ripe for um a, a, the return of Oshawa Stompy. Root Maze. If you have Root Maze and Null Rods, you're dealing with both paradoxical outcome, and you've got you're going to slow down the quote-unquote gush mentor deck. Right. Uh, if you can get this down quickly, you might be able to race Mentor. Um, I don't know. It's possible. It's certainly possible. That you deck could... was traditionally mono green, but I don't see any reason why it has to be anymore. Well, I put mono green in quotations. Did it ever play with Squee Goblin Nabob? I can't remember. Or was that I... just survival decks? I think that was just survival and the cre- the cerebral assassin decks. <laughs> if you play with survival, then you can play with you can then you can just get your singleton manglehorn. we're getting pretty far afield now (laughs) i I was just wondering i was just wondering well at any rate there so there's some fun creative deck building options here but getting back to the numbers that we're talking about i would say this is almost certain to be used in dredge if not main then as you put it in the sideboard i'm not as certain of that i think that i think it's hard to figure out how to put it main deck it is interesting i think it's it's greater utility as as a sideboard Cyborg tactic. The problem is well, it's not fair. super reliable, right? Because it's only a four of. No, that's true. Absolutely. But it's just another four of that yeah. helps, right? Agreed. And it helps your it helps, I believe, your mulliganing decisions too post sideboard because you can get more hands that, that are keepable in the face of anything. What Dredge's hardest game is frequently game two. Not yep. only because they frequently win game one, but also because they don't know the hate that's coming in. So folding these up in a hand of seven is a really good feeling, I think, in a game two for Dredge. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, and really anything cool that card. makes anything that that promotes your opponent to keep in creature removal, like swords, when you're playing Dredge, I think is in your favor. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, Dredge hasn't played with Street Wraith in a long time. I used to play with Street Wraiths in my Sutra Ghoul deck, I think. Right, but um. That's another way to try and get more cycling. Yeah, absolutely. Although a single street wraith activation only lowers this to three. No, you need you need. But if you got two street wraiths and one of these, 
even if they wasted your bazaar, this would only cost one mana. Hollow, the hollow one would only cost one mana at that point. Yeah, true, true. So then the question becomes, what portion of dredge pilots are interested in adopting this, even in the sideboard? Hmm. That's a fundamentally unknowable question. <laughs> I, I do I do like how Dredge has gone up, veered off in different directions, like with Dark Depths and all of that. Maybe this would be a nice little compliment. I mean, it's hard to beat. I don't know. It might actually interfere with the Dark Depths combo. Well, Dredge hasn't been doing very well yeah, in been, Vintage lately. It's been pretty poor. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's only been about, I'm eyeballing here, but about 10 top eights since February, yeah, since the early, late, late February, early March. So even if everyone adopted this, that's still theoretically only a, you know, 8 to 12 appearances. And you have to believe that not everyone will. I know that a number of people are interested and excited about it. I've read as many comments on social media, but testing and other things will bear out that this isn't that, that significant, probably numbers-wise. I would say a safe bet is somewhere around, I don't know, 4 Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to... You know, people... You know, every time I say something like that, people are a little slow to adopt something that changes... That has a a little bit of a technological change in the way a deck works. So I'd probably take the under on four, personally, now that I think about it. (sighs) This is a very difficult one to predict because it opens up... It opens up new vistas for play, so... Yeah, I'm going to go with three. You want to take the under on three? I'll take the four. I'll take the... I'll go over. I'll go four. Okay. It'll be interesting to see, and it'll be interesting to play against, too. I don't think this is the sort of thing that, uh, you know, will lead to a new I, resurgence in Dredge, but it's no. a certain, it's, all it takes is for one I, game win here or there, and Dredge can put up more top eights. I'm more excited about this in a Workshop Bazaar deck or Oshawa Stompy, to be candid, than Dredge. <laughs> I really am. Well, I think that this is the potential to make those decks. That's funny. I would love to see one of both of those decks come back. I'm not saying they would be tier one. I just think right. that they have the potential to actually create space where these decks can see play. Well, and you're not wrong. A null Rod plus Root Maze is a nice disruptive package that, that fits well against the current metagame. So we can see. Next up, we have Solemnity, Solemnity. for two, two white enchantment. Players can't get counters. Counters can't be put on artifacts, creatures, enchantments, or lands. So let's talk mana cost. Two white is the cost of Monastery Mentor, one of the <laughs> most played creatures in yeah. Vintage today. Yes, so the mana arguably cost the is best clearly, of all time. <laughs> <laughs> clearly the mana cost passes a certain threshold of playability, but that's not really the consideration here, is it? The consideration here is how disruptive is this to current Vintage decks, and is it sufficiently disruptive to play at three mana? Which is definitely on the high side for hate cards and vintage. Interesting. That's not what I would have thought was the most important question here. Okay. What I I see as the most important question is, how much synergy can you suck out of this with really explosive combos? Like, the most obvious is Dark Depths, which the Dark Depths comes into play. As I understand it, Dark Depths would come into play with no counters on it, with with Solemnity in play. And would immediately become Merit Lage, yes. Right, it would trigger itself and then become, it would sacrifice itself and then become Merit Lage, a 2020 token. That's pretty busted. I mean, essentially, get to three mana, play a land, and get a 2020 token. That seems even more disgusting than Bizarre and a Hollow One, frankly. <laughs> I mean, no, no joke, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean that's disgusting. Um, but, you know, even as a two, I mean, look, <laughs> Dark Depths combo sees play in Vintage already, okay? Right. A three-mana spell that makes all of your um, things trigger immediately seems decent. I mean, if, if, a, <laughs> if a 
right? Especially if there are other synergies that you can get out of it, right? I mean, right now, in order to get that to work, you have to play a, a two-mana, two-one creature, right? Right. Or, or a land that copies it that you have to spend, you know, essentially, functionally three mana to copy it. So, you know, a, a spell, you resolve one spell here and then you, all your dark depths are un- uncounterable 2020. It seems pretty damn good. Well, you're not wrong about that. I don't think that is enough to build a deck around right. in Vintage. Right, but the, the point I was, the, the question is how much synergy can you get out of this with other cards? So it's not how, how does this disrupt your opponent? How much value can, can you get out of this from other cards that you would synergize with it? I, a Dark Depths is simply the most obvious, but the other ones that have come up are the cards with cumulative upkeeps, like, I don't right. know, Mystic Remora, one of your favorite right. cards. I mean, Mystic Remora, with this card, Mystic Remora hangs around forever. Yep. That you, seems- can have, you can have four of them in play. <laughs> right. <laughs> Woe be to the opponent who plays a spell into that. Yeah, they just might deck you. No, this yep. is... I mean, this this seems pretty insane. Um, what are the other key synergies? I mean, there's a whole host of cumulative upkeep cards. What are they? Because I, I didn't even search them before this. I just thought you would well, have them on hand. Another one that stands out is Glacial Chasm. Oh, yeah. There you go. So Glacial Chasm, for those who don't know, I mean, a lot of our audience probably do, but it's a land with cumulative upkeep of two life. When Glacial Chasm comes into play, sacrifice a land. You can't attack... And all damage dealt to you is reduced to zero. Right. I mean, how does a mentor beat that? A mentor deck literally cannot beat that except by finding a strip miner wasteland. Well, or the dis- planeswalkers, planeswalkers defeat. Yeah, that's it, true. That's true. But mentor itself cannot. The card mentor is heavily disrupted by not receiving damage. Extremely yes. disrupted. It also just so happens that the drawback on Glacial Chasm of you can't attack is works pretty well when you're planning to end the game with a twenty twenty. Right, <laughs> right. Just sacrifice the glacial chasm and attack. Right. So you're interested in combo decks. I'm interested in how this card is disruptive to the existing uh, well, metagame. Well, no, I, I'm I'm interested in both questions. Yeah. I just think the main question is the question I asked. Your question is secondary. But let's go okay. to your question. So so go ahead. I mean, I can already think of some of the ways it's disruptive. But go ahead. Start start laying them out. So against the counter based strategies of the uh, current workshop decks, that is yes. Ravager and Ballista and Hangerback Walker. It's devastating. It makes those <laughs> yeah. cards almost entirely unplayable yeah. I mean, yeah. without some bizarre interactions. Same goes for Triskelion, which has fallen out of favor, but falls into still, that grouping still as well. Still appears, yep. Yeah. And I'm hard-pressed to think of other things because this card is very careful to sidestep Planeswalkers, but it also turns off Infect, which is one of its features, because you can't get poison counters. That's the same way that it turns off energy. Energy and infect are not very much played in vintage. Steve, what other interactions or disruptions of your opponent are you envisioning? Well, those are the main ones. I think it's just you know brutally disruptive against Ravager Ballista decks. Um, it also is good against uh, Hangerback Walker because Hangerback Walker. What happens to a Hangerback Walker? It, it comes in. Well, I mean, all three of those creatures come in as a zero-zero creature zero. and immediately they, sacrificed. Not but, sacrificed, but, but immediately put in the graveyard. Right, but if this comes into play, then they just can't grow at all. So uh, that's right. If it had counters on it, it couldn't be able. It wouldn't be able to add anymore. Same goes this for card is, This card is great. I mean, it's. Re- I mean, it just. It's real. I mean, look. One of the things I like about it is is that it's proactive as well. So you can accelerate into it before the workshop player gets a turn. It just reminds me, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a Trigon Predator. You know, it's like well that. Ra- Ravager, that was going to be one of my questions, though. Is, Ravager, do you think? Well, At three mana, it's fast enough. Yes, I do. I don't. I mean, a Ravager can't move its tokens. There, it's not like a Planeswalker where this thing can die to a Mishra's factory. 
you know, it's going to sit and play and be disruptive. Well, I think a that, ravager, a ravager can move its tokens in response to you casting it. Sure, right? sure, but you know, let's assume that. Um, sure, it can certainly gain gain tokens. But if you get this down first, you could you could just blank a workshop player's entire hand potentially. Seriously, you could turn. You know, you could imagine like ravager double ballista. You know, sphere thorn. There, if you get this down in turn one and then say go, their hand is <laughs> might be dead. Come just that's about. Good, that's true. That's true. And then all you have to do to win the game is play a dark depths. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I, I like that, this. That's true. I could see, uh, you know, some from really strong hands out of a deck running this plus dark depths against workshops where not only do you play this on one, which means they can't really do much to disrupt you, but then then you just have dark depths and they can't answer it. So it's yeah. worth noting that the dark depths combo is still answered by, by wasteland. wasteland. Yeah. Yep. But that so that doesn't change. But still, it's faster, and so it you gives can play them your own wastelands too. Yeah, I mean, you could play right. if you're playing just blue white, which certainly sounds plausible. You could just play your own wastelands and make sure that's not a problem. I'm pretty sure this would be an ancient tomb deck rather than a wasteland deck. Why but, not all of them? You can play blue white with wasteland <laughs> and ancient tomb. It's not well, impossible. I'm, well, because I'm already playing four other colorless lands in the deck in dark depths, I'm not going to be fair enough. Like, I'm not going to be running eight or twelve colorless lands. But anyway, so. Do you think we're going to see this as a mentor-based strategy that also has this Dark Depths combo in it? No, I don't think this goes into a mentor deck. I mean, we could, you know, mentor goes... At, let me put it the other way. This doesn't go into a mentor deck, but mentor goes into almost every blue deck. So mentor could certainly appear there, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't... This isn't kind of like a... I don't know. It's not a mentor <laughs> deck, quote-unquote. Yes. That is absolutely what I was envisioning. Yeah. So you could play mentor. Mentors are just, you know, going to about just every blue deck right now. Um, Naturally. So you could certainly put mentor in this um, as a defense mechanism, as a possible win condition. I mean, I don't know. Four of this, well, four Mystic Well, it certainly, it certainly Dark diversifies Decks. your threats, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I really like the idea of a, of a Mystic Remora deck that has a lot of mana that can use this. I mean, there's so yeah. many different directions you could go with that right now, but that seems like a decent start to a deck. Like, I don't know, four Mystic Remora, four Mental Misstep, four of this and four Dark Depths. That's a brutal deck. That's a deck that could just win out of the blue very quickly. Right. And hard well, to compete with, right? Because even if they have a plow, you could have a Mental Misstep or you could, you know, Mystic Remora into, uh, have a Counter War Mystic Remora into more things, right? Into, right. Into right. more Dark Depths. And a deck that's structured that way is inherently hard to fight because you're trying to fight Mentor and an enchantment and a, a singular 2020 creature that's indestructible. So a lot of the things that are good at fighting Mentor, like, say, Dread of Night and Supreme Verdict and Sulfur Elemental, just don't interact with Merit Lage at all. And the things that are good at interacting with Merit Lage, like Swords to Plowshares, are mediocre at best against a deck with mentors and missteps and remoras so I, you make I, a fair rem, point that remora is just deck a, is kind of brutal remora is a very pesky card to deal with it's very yeah. <laughs> it would be a pretty it would be a pretty amazing sensation though to have this solemnity and remora in play there's no doubt about that oh yeah you're gonna have to watch out for the serenities in the uh bizarre sideboards but <laughs> all right let's try to predict some numbers then i don't anticipate well you make a reasonable case for the power of such a deck one of the things we've known from past experience is that people don't adopt brand new decks very fast so even if that deck's good it's going to take a while for the format to pick up on it i believe i agree and as just a hoser i don't believe that this card is very good good enough against shops to be an immediately a go-to thing it's not going to replace fragmentize 
or by force, which we just discussed. And I could see it be using being used as a one or a two of in addition to those things, but I don't think it is sufficient to turn those matchups on its own, and therefore it needs to be part of a package of four or five cards, and I think that'll push it out of most people's attempts. Yeah, I don't necessarily think this is a tier one deck, but I think there's enough powerful synergies here that there's something that's possible. Look, I don't yep. if Rich Shake can four oh a daily with as foretold, this is <laughs> way better than as foretold. There's no question, <laughs> right? Yeah. Unfortunately, it has terrible dissynergy with As Foretold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you play them together. I'm saying that you build the deck around Solemnity. Right. I All right. Just so solemnity, solemnity Control. You, you, solemnity Control. All right. So what's your prediction then? Let's let's put some numbers down. Not a lot. Um, I'll say mm, three. I, look, I, I don't think the ceiling is very high in the short run because the vintage metagame is so well-defined, but yeah. I would not be surprised to see this appearing in top eights in tournaments. I'll say three. Okay. And I'm willing to, I, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if it's zero, but I wouldn't be, yeah. I wouldn't shock, be shocked if it's seven or eight. I would, I'm going to, I would be I'm shocked if it was 30. And, yeah. I, I agree with you. I wouldn't be shocked, but anywhere between zero and five, really. Uh, but I'm going to go with one because I do think it's got enough spice to it that people are going to try it, but I just don't think it's competitive to push much out at the moment. Well, I mean, the fact that online there are Dark Devils dredge decks that actually have done really well suggests to me that this this is for three mana and two cards to get a 2020 to me is a fundamentally playable synergy. But when you build all the yeah. other goods, it's not like this is only good with one card. The fact that you get all these other tactics yeah. just to me seems like it's good enough. I mean, if someone... I mean, Glacial Chasm is pretty darn disruptive. The fact that they have to, like... You know, a workshop deck has to wasteland it to win. Um, and then you could just... Even if they get one good attack in, you can always just replay another. I mean, if you have Solemnity in play, they're not going to be able to kill you in one swing. Because you can't, like, Ballista Ravager and Gatling gun you, right? Yeah, I, I mean... If this, you've got Solemnity, you can have multiple Glacial Chasms in play, too. Yeah, exactly. That and and also, even if they do Wasteland 1, they're not going to be able to Alpha Strike you and win, and then you have another opportunity to play another one next turn. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is this seems really good against shops for like blue-white control, in my opinion. It's not very mana-intensive. The only mana is actually in this enchantment. Everything else is free or super efficient. Uh, you said blue-white control just now, and it just dawned on me how good Dark Depths is with Moat, too. God, yeah. You can just, you just, can just play sit behind Moat until you find it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, play Moat okay. behind this. Well, we've got to move on, though. Yep. We've got yep. to move on. Next up is Mirage Mirror. Three, artifact, two colorless, colon. No, excuse me, two generic, colon. Mirage Mirror becomes a copy of target artifact, creature, enchantment, or land until end of turn. This is a lot of fun, and I look forward to using it like crazy in EDH. But in Vintage, it has an interesting tension, I believe. It has the magical workshop mana cost of three, and it's a poly artifact with only two mana activation, so the activation's reasonable. It's not exactly designed to be used multiple times per turn, but you can get some spicy results if you do. If you place this into a modern workshop deck... It has unfortunate dissynergy with all of the counter-spaced creatures we discussed. Because if you copy a Ravager or a Ballista or a Hanger Backwalker, it's just going to be a 0-0 zero, zero and die. So that's not good. No. Has dissynergy with Precursor Golem, unfortunately. Well, let, well let's step back. Let's step back. All it becomes is a 3-3. Let's step back. You're already talking about applications, but I think we should begin by talking about analogs. 
Like, what are the analogs? What are the differences between this and those? And then try and hone in on applications. Because there's so many different copy artifact effects in the format. I mean, starting with copy artifact, certainly Phyrexian Metamorph copies artifacts or creatures. So it's right. this can copy lands and enchantments, so that's a big difference. Also, of course, this costs one less in the sense that, you know, there's a Phyrexian mana involved in Phyrexian mm-hmm. Metamorph. But this has an activation cost of two colorless, which is pretty significant when you're trying to tempo out your opponent. Right. This also reminds me of Mizium Trends Reliquat, which was the old Time Vault <laughs> combo. That was a Time Vault combo when Time Vault still had the, uh, the token, I mean the uh, counter. Right. Um, those are the big... There's, of course, also uh, Sculpting Steel, which was the precursor to Phyrexian Metamorph, but also right. a direct analog to Copy Artifact, but all, all uh, workshop mana. Um, so this has some advantages on Phyrexian Metamorph and disadvantages, right? And Phyrexian Metamorph is clearly playable. So... Um, you were saying you were saying that you know Phyrexian Metamorph obviously can copy a precursor golem in a way that this cannot, in that this doesn't because it's not as it comes into play, it will not generate the token copies, right? Absolutely. And it was one of the subtle stories of the NYSE Open Five was the I would call it a resurgence of Phyrexian Metamorph in the workshop decks. There was a time in the past few months, early part of this year, when Metamorph fell out of style and it has come back. And it's interesting to note why it has come back exactly, because it, it has disenergy still does Metamorph with yes. things like Ballista and Ravager and and well, it's, it's OK as a Ravager. It still comes in as a Ravager, but it has disenergy with Ballista and Hangerback Walker, at least. Yeah, I, I remember. Bef- I think I don't remember whether this is before. When did when was Phyrexian Metamorph printed? What's that? That's uh, New Phyrexia. OK, it was actually printed with uh, like. Yeah, and New Phyrexia came after World Wake, way after. Oh, yes, it was, a few years. Maybe a year? Okay. I remember yeah, there was a period before New Phyrexia where I was playing workshop decks with four Lodestone Golems and, like, three or four Sculpting Steels. And the oh, whole yes. plan was all you wanted to do was just copy the, the Golem. And then Phyrexia and Metamorph replaced Sculpting Steel pretty much in the format. Right. Um, but, but the restriction of Lodestone Golem has certainly weakened that kind of effect as well. That's partly mm-hmm. why. That's partly why Metamorph went away. I mean, it's the flip side of the same coin that you were just saying, which is that Golem has presence. It's kind of like you know, its energy in the workshop deck has been has been replaced by cards that are harder to get value out of Metamorphing. Yep, and Metamorph has an important interaction with Fleetwheel Cruiser that this Mirage Mirror does not. Oh yeah, and that is because can, when you play a Metamorph copying a Cruiser. Yeah, you do yeah. get that comes in the play trigger. So if this is going to see play in any deck over a Metamorph, it has to be because of the capacity to copy a land or an enchantment. Speaking of lands you might copy, this can copy Dark Depths uh, and automatically go to town, which gives yep. it a huge advantage over, me- over Metamorph in a workshop Dark Depths deck, which yes, there have absolutely. been last year on Magic Online, I recall, for a time, those saw play. I think the restriction of Gollum killed them, but I do recall them. Yeah. So this gives you a way to workshop out Magic Mirror, play Dark Depths, spend two mana, copy it. You've got a 2020. Yep. If this set is telling me anything, it's invest in Dark Depths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. For Vintage, at least. I don't know if it's going to be applicable in other formats, but it probably will. <clears throat> so... There are other key interactions, though. You mentioned that 
this Mirage Mirror will become play will be playable because of its ability to copy other permanent types. And I think that's certainly an advantage, but I also don't think that's the only reason. The fact that this is an activated ability means you could turn this into more than one thing over the course of a turn if you time it uh, cleverly. Meaning, when you copy something with Mirage Mirror, it loses this ability, right? So you yep. can't just keep turning it into different things. But you can put multiple activations on it. So it's not like, not like Mizium Trans Reliquat in that respect. Right. You can put multiple applications onto the stack. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a ton of artifacts in play, but no threats. Your opponent has Ravager plus Trike, but they don't. But they are light on on permanents, right? They don't have enough to kill you. You can play Mirage Mirror and put an activation targeting their Trike on the stack, and then an activation targeting their Ravager on the stack. And if they don't sack in response, which they might do, but all things being equal, this thing could turn into one and then the other and immediately kill somebody that way spending a, a moment as a Ravager in time to sack a bunch of artifacts and then turning into a Triskelion with all the counters. That's just one example of how this card could interact with multiple things on the board. Now, I just realized I just realized that doesn't work unless you have something else going on because your Ravager would die as a 0-0. Zero, zero. You'd have to have Achieve of the Foundry in play in order for that plan to work. But it's still relevant. The fact that you could become one creature temporarily and then turn into something else could have interactions that are useful in especially in the mirror match where you're going to be leveraging what your opponent has in play. S simplify or what's the takeaway of your your scenario there? What are you driving? The takeaway is just that you can have this function as more than one permanent over the course of a turn. Sure. Uh, here's a, here's a simpler example, all right? Here's a simpler one. You um you put two mana into this cop targeting a creature, but then you put another two mana into it targeting a land. So it first becomes the land. I see. And then you can tap it and use it yeah. for that land's effect. And yep. then it becomes that creature. So some little some snack, snack, snacks <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> Stack shenanigans. Right. Um, none of those things are immediately so compelling as to say this is obviously better than Metamorph. But, but it does have there an could advantage. Be a couple yeah. of, there there's could a be a subtle, couple of cute interactions. There's a subtle advantage there, right? As soon as you... Well, here's another one. As soon as you factor in non-workshop cards, some interesting things happen. Take, for example, Monastery Mentor. Let's say you're holding Dismember, but you would like to copy something else that, that you have in play, like you have a big creature, like, uh, I don't know, a Precursor Golem that you need to attack with or something. So you activate this targeting the Precursor Golem. You activate it once in response targeting Mentor. It becomes a Mentor, and while it's still a Mentor, you Dismember get their Mentor. You get a Monk, and then yeah. yours becomes a Precursor Golem, which is larger. Now, that's a funny example because a Mentor right. would be 3-3 three, three anyway. But you see my point. Let's say yes. you turn the change Precursor Golem for Worm Coil Engine, and now you're talking. You yeah. can get little incremental values out of being multiple permanents in a turn that way. Yeah, I, I don't think this. I don't think those values... Th those are good points. Those are incisive points, in fact. But I don't think the value of being able to copy an enchantment or a land um, here that justifies the two additional mana over Metamorph, except in a workshop dark depths deck yeah reasonable that's very reasonable yeah i can't i'm i'm with you i can't think of a good reason why this would be played over metamorph save the dark depths interaction metamorph is just so much more flexible and powerful as it pertains to coming into play as the thing you want it to be especially with the uptick in precursor golem of late but who knows? There could be some key interactions, or it could be that the Dark yeah. Depths-based workshop decks turn out to be better in the mirror, and that's all it would take for there to be kind of a landslide, right? Yep. I'm I'm not going to anticipate great change in the the nature of workshops or the, the balance of power in workshops just yet. So I'm going to go zero on Mirage Mirror. 
Oh, um, I don't know. I haven't seen one of those workshop dark depths decks in a in a power nine cha- in a vintage challenge in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the question I'm trying to figure out is: Do you have enough value that this is always going to be useful, even though you might not always be copying dark depths? Um, I mean, for example, if you go workshop this on turn one. Does it function kind of like Achieve of the Foundry, whereas next turn you can get, like, I don't know, another workshop and then, like, play something explosive, you know? like You can turn two into three. Yeah. You can turn Ancient Tomb into workshop that way. That's interesting. You know, I can't believe we haven't said it before now, but this also becomes an asymmetrical sphere. On your opponent's upkeep, make this into a copy of a thorn or a sphere. Darn, yeah. And then it's on on their turn, at least not their on yours. Phase, you know, their, their main phase, and but not on yours. That's of that's of moderate value. I would not call that great no. value, but it's moderate because so many cards that are played today, like swords and hercules and things, can be played in response to the activation, and it's I'm it's, gonna it's only gonna shut off certain things. I'm gonna go non-zero here because I think I'll just I think it's got enough synergies it might show up somewhere. I'll go one. You're okay. on zero. I'm on one. Okay, I, I can uh, I can support that. Now this next one is going to be fun. We're talking about a braid for one red instant. Choose one. A braid deals three damage to target creature or destroy target artifact. What do you think, Steve? Shatter plus lightning bolt for two. <laughs> Shatter slash lightning bolt, I should say. Could yeah. they have designed a more universally useful vintage card? <laughs> it doesn't I think go you to answered, the face, though. I think you answered your own question there, Kevin. <laughs> it doesn't go to the face. It's <laughs> worth noting. This can't just immediately replace Lightning Bolt in every deck. Right. It doesn't damage the player. And, well, and, which, and means it, which means it has the weakness against against Planeswalkers. Yes, but, that's right. But Lots. it is a way to main deck shatter, you know. That also kills Monastery Mentor. Yes, so, I mean, immediately this card, This, if I didn't know better, I would say this card was made for Vintage. <laughs> um, because the amount of usefulness that's packed into this two-mana spell is great. And also, I also don't know if, if I... You can't print this card at one mana, I don't think. No, it would be absurd. It'd be too good. But there's a point to be made that you wouldn't want it to be one mana, right? The fact it's that an it's instant. two and dodges misstep yeah, exactly. is, is actually very useful in Vintage. Yeah, the, the 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 two the two mana allows it to be an instant speed. You know, there's already you know shattering got um, shattering uh, spree and got you or yeah. all of that. Um, in one mana, this is so cool. I mean, this is the kind of card that a lot of decks can main deck. It can just Absolutely. fit in that. It can fit in that fragmentized slot. So yeah. one question you have to decide if you're running like let's say Jeskai Mentor with fragmentized main deck is how much do you value the ability main deck to be able to destroy enchantments versus having a card that destroys artifacts and or can do three damage to, I don't know, Mentor. mentor. Yeah. <laughs> or or even like, a, I don't know, a Ravager, Revoker, you know, all kinds of things. Um, you know, Mishra's Factory. Well, the th- I mean, the three damage is, is does not apply against shops, right? Because you would shattered. just use the artifact instead. I'm sorry. It yeah. matter how big you're right, it is. You're right. Yeah. So what are the other creatures that we would be targeting besides like Delver and Pyromancer? Well, I was just going to say the Delver creatures, Delver, Pyromancer, uh, Harsh Mentor, and then Monastery Mentor, uh, Containment Priest, not in the main, of course. That's a good point. Just, this can kill Athalia for three mana. It can kill Thalia. That's a yeah, little... This is, this is actually a gift against White Eldrazi, isn't it? Because it kills Thorn and Thalia. Interesting. Yeah, it costs three mana either way, but it is... Still, yeah. it's a gift. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's good. I mean, White Eldrazi is not very popular of late. Of no, course. it's marginalized. After the restriction yeah. of Gush, I think it's a lot worse. But so this is a shatter that can also shoot down a trinket mage or a snapcaster mage. 
and various other rarely played creatures like Leovold and Dark Confidant, that kind of thing. I think this is an imminently flexible card. I think for many Jeskai players, this immediately replaces that main deck Fragmentize or main deck Wear Tear that has become standard, or main deck by Force. I think this is way better than main deck by Force. And there were three top eights made by main deck by Force in the last, <laughs> since the last set. Fair enough. Yeah. I think this immediately jumps into into Jeskai Mentor and a few other decks, but Jeskai Mentor is the place that's going to put up most of its numbers. I think there's going to be one or two main deck in a lot of a lot of decks, and then another one or two in the sideboard, it probably is, totaling at two slash three in most cases. It is interesting, to your point, that it is a lot harder to counter than a bolt or a plow, because... Yeah. Yeah, and only force of will really, and well, flusterstorm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I do think the only problem with it is that if you are sideboarding, it's not an optimal card. You know, you would really want a but, one mana. But there are people who still sideboard wear tear and disenchant. That's true. That's true. Wear tear and does force for Pete's sake. Wear tear does see play and has seen play. Yeah. Um. This is immediately competitive so, with with a couple of. I, there's. St- Heavily played cards. I don't think there's any question that this is a vintage playable A and B that we'll see vintage play. So, yeah. so do you think this is like the most playable? It just might be the card that sees the most play in the set. But what what's the number that you you have in your mind to uh, attach it, to this card? I'm I'm thinking ten. I think that's about spot on. Yeah, I'll, I'll take and it the. Could be, it could go up from there. No, yeah, term. yeah. I that's like almost exactly where I'll land. I'll go nine. Okay, I think. I think we might be underselling think, this too. If well, by force that, was an eighteen, yeah, no, I think the problem with this card is it's a main deck card, but it's not a sideboard card. Whereas by force is a card that people are going to jam into sideboards as a two of a lot. So I think, I think that, this is I think this is going to replace all all those copies of by force that people were disappointed by. <laughs> main deck, yeah, I, right no, now, I mean in the sideboard. Oh, only three oh, out of I eighteen don't. of those by force were were in the main. It was three I, main, fifteen I, side. I don't. I think the reason is because a lot of those Jeskai mentor players who are using by force are also bringing it against paradoxical outcome. So I don't. Okay. Yeah, I I don't. Okay. I don't think it's going to replace sideboard cards. I do think it will replace some of the main deck. So that's why I'm going to take the under. I think this is a main deck card. I don't see this as a sideboard card, which is kind I of predict, ironic for this. I predict that you will see sideboard copies. And more than a scant few. I predict I pre- you'll see several in the sideboard. I predict you will see... Let's go down... Let's make a more granular prediction and put it in the show notes for okay. you and me. I think this is going to see more main deck play than sideboard play. And okay. y- you predict the opposite, right? N- no. I-, I do predict it's going to be more in the main deck, but I okay. think it's going to be in the sideboard too. Yeah, I think this will be I- very rarely in sideboards. I don't think this is going to be a sideboard card. I'm I'm actually considering going up on my number. I'm thinking more like... <laughs> go I'm thinking for it. more like... Um, You're not locked in yet. <laughs> no, but well, I'm just thinking about Byforce, right? Because Byforce, as I said, there were three main deck copies. I don't think it's a good main deck card. There were 15 sideboard copies. I think there will be many more abrades in the main. I'm thinking that it's like an it's like an eight to ten in the main. But I think there's going to be another three to five side. I think I'm going to go up to twelve. I'm going to go down to eight. Okay, because I feel I'm that really pessimistic. Your, point, your uh, pe- point is well made. This is not a great sideboard card, but you know what it is? It's flexible. It could come in That's against true. Mentor. It could come in against White Eldrazi. It's like it kind of. And, it's kind. It's almost like a sudden shock against Mentor. It's well, not yeah, going. It's not going to get. It's not going to get misstepped. It's right. not going to get pyroblasted. So it's almost guaranteed. People, people still play disenchant in vintage. <laughs> I, know, I know. I mean, I know. if you play disenchant, well, disenchant you're consider playing this card. The thing is, disenchant for me has always been, to the extent it's played in modern vintage, anti chalice card. Okay. It's anti chalice at one, and this functions in the same way. So and, and much better. Yeah, I mean it can. It yeah. can yeah, it's like perfect against Wild Drazi. I 
I mean, it, it kills Eldrazi Displacer and Thalia. <laughs> you know, it's like kills almost all the Eldrazi, <laughs> except for Thought Right. here. Right. Uh, again, I think this is a, a very weak sideboard card, but I think it's 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 very very justifiable main deck card. So because because of that, I don't think it's going to approach by by forces numbers, which is primarily a sideboard card. Let me do a quick bit of math: one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, <clears throat> fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Eight, uh, going back down to May. So it looks like 14 going back to May. 14 copies of Disenchant in sideboards only, 16 or more players, top eight or better. I think that this card replaces half or more of those. That's just the sideboard play for Disenchant alone in Vintage. I think I think, <laughs> I think that you're, you're not wrong that this is kind of a weak sideboard card. It's not as potent, but it's so flexible. And if that many people are still playing Disenchant and top eighting with it, this card this card's going to be really popular. I could see some people, and I'm not saying, I'm not pr- proposing this, but I could see some people cutting a, a plow from Mentor for one of these because it doesn't get hit by misstep because it still kills Mentor and because it helps with shops so much. Now, I'm not saying that's going to become any kind of standard. I'm just saying I think that's how flexible this is and people really prize flexibility. These are the people who are playing two main deck Pyroblasts, recall. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to argue yeah, any well, further. I just, I've already I just made think my prediction. Yeah, I just think you're underselling it a little bit. Okay, but we'll whatever. see. It's, we'll see. We're only four a party. It's not. It's not the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Tragic Lesson. Two, you instant draw two cards, then discard a card unless you return a land to y- a land you control to its owner's hand. Draw two, discard unless you bounce a land. It's nice that the discard is actually a flexible option. I can see, well, obviously you have the choice, but there are certainly cases in Vintage where you would choose to do the discard even if you had a plan to bounce, right? If, you, if you're doing any kind of graveyard shenanigans, if you've got Jace Telepath Unbound, etc., etc., there would be reasons to this want isn't... the discard. Yeah, this is a neat little design. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cards that it, com- it compares to are like Compulsive Research, you know, that kind of thing. Frantic Search, yeah. Um, drawing two cards for three mana is is usually not a great deal. Um, we're used to drawing three cards, I think, with Thirst at that mana cost. Naturally. But the fact that you can return a land to hand and get a land drop out of it, a la, a la Gush, at instant speed, and also at instant speed, means that it gets a bit more value. So it's it's a kind of a difficult, it's kind of a challenging card to evaluate because part of the value depends on whether you're making you're you're using this to get an additional land drop. If you are, then it's it's like gush. It's a lot more valuable. Yeah, and it's also a sorcery if you are. Right. Well, gush is is the same way as sure. well. It's nice that you don't have to decide until resolution too. The two cards you draw could influence your choice. Should influence your choice. I really just can't shake the notion that we're in an environment right now where thirst for knowledge is on the is on the pivot point of being playable. It has been played a yeah. little bit recently. It's not the standard. Yeah, Qu- quite a bit in those in those paradoxical outcome drain tendril right. decks. But at the but it, it still hasn't caught on in anything else really. And those decks are no. they have succeeded, but they have not become any kind of standard pillar in the metagame yet. So if thirst is which is obviously more powerful in the long run, right? Just because it ratchets these numbers up by one. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, thirst net nets two. Reg- yeah, no matter know, what, as long as you can art. Well, as long as you can discard an artifact, it nets nets right. two. 
But this card potentially is like two and a half or three even if you get a land drop out of it. So I see your point. You you are putting three cards in your hand, and we've discussed at yeah. length how valuable with Dak, right? With and Jace. Dak, Dak and Jace, exactly. But it's really bad though if you can't return a land to your hand. <laughs> then it's really weak. So it's like thirst is insane when you go like Mox land, Mox op. I guess yeah, like Mox, Mox, Mox thirst. <laughs> then thirst is really sick. But this card is has the gush problem in that it's to really get the maximum value out of it, you really can't play it until turn three. So it's not the kind of explosive draw like fact or excuse me, fact or gifts or thirst. Well, I agree with you. This card could be a turn two play if you've got land mox mox, right? Because you pick up your one, you sure, pick up your and you one don't, land, yeah, and you don't miss a drop. That's true. That's absolutely true. It's not like gush in that respect right. because it's only one I'm land. In a gush it's, mindset. It's, a, it's obviously right. a turn ahead of gush, but that requires non-land accelerants to be correct and to be the right thing to do, really. And you also <laughs> don't want to lose. You don't want to lose a, 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 you know, you're really screwing yourself in terms of mana development. Right. If, unless you're actually getting value out of the land drop. But but it's not that bad. A, you're right. It's worst, not that bad on turn one. A worst case thirst, though, is still. So a worst, worst case, case thirst, thirst is, is you discard two cards. Yeah. But what would you be discarding? You'd be discarding not lands. No, you well, could be, you could, you could be discarding. Yeah. Yeah. You could be discarding like, I don't know, island mm, a, a plow second, or second I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Or like Island Fetch. <laughs> what kind of... How would you... So, okay, so this deck that plays this card, it, so you still want heavy artifact mana, but you're not as incentivized to be as committed to artifacts as you are in a Thirst deck. Right, right. So you don't necessarily have to be an Opal Seat kind of deck. You could still right. just be kind of a, a 7 or 8 Accelerant deck and expect to make good use out of this. More so if you have Mana Drain, for example. Or any mana creatures, right? This plays pretty well with Deathrite Shaman. I really like this card actually. The more the more I'm studying it, the the more I like its features. But it doesn't play well in a mentor shell just because of the mana cost. No, no, no. It's not. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's neither does thirst though. I mean, right. those cards are too expensive. Right. I see this as this is kind of like a post mentor draw spell. I really I think this card has really good synergy with Jace the Mind Sculptor. Absolutely, it does. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing here. I think this is really good with Jace the Mind Sculptor. And this is the kind of Jace. A, yeah, and Dak, a kind of a Jace control draw spell. It's better than Thirst. I think it's pr it's possible this card is just better than Thirst in a Jace control deck. This can fizzle a Wasteland or a Strip the same way that Gush can. That's a great. That's actually a great point. An excellent point, and, in and fact. And it's actually better <laughs> at doing that than Gush in the sense that you only pick up the one land and not two, right? How many times right. have you been unwilling you to make that play because it puts you tar too far behind? Countless. Yeah. No, that's an excellent point. But obviously... Then you're, you're really getting value. You gotta have three mana set aside, whereas you could do that with no mana and gush. Okay, so there's... But that's what... Yeah. That's blue control decks do that all the time. Yeah, well, yeah, so this, this is starting to feel yeah. more like a mana drain card. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like... The, I understand what you mean by that. Yeah. I'm not saying you should be playing mana drain in contemporary vintage, because I don't think you should be. Well, so <laughs> but I, it's but it's that still kind succeeding, of deck. right? Mana drain decks have succeeded. You just referred to the yeah, but the I think they're I think they're generally better without I think they're better without mana drain. But yes, I do still call the mana drain decks. <laughs> well, that's fair. But to your you you set that up as control decks sitting with mana open, right? And the decks that do yeah. that are predominantly mana drain decks. Like you don't do that with mentor as much. You're not sitting with three mana open in mentor. Well, the, well, those decks often will play like plow, flusterstorm, pyroblast, and be holding them up. Sure, sure, okay. We're splitting hairs at that point. So we think this is playable 
This is an, a fascinating card. If, if compulsive research can be played in vintage, this can be played. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. I don't think compulsive research should have been played, <laughs> but <laughs> it passed the threshold of playability. Yeah, I think the reason it's appearing is because those. I mean, Andy Probasco's. I mean, obviously, in his Jeskai mentor has one compulsive research, and a lot yeah. of people who copied his deck. Yeah have mimicked that feature of it. But the reason for that is because he has such a lot of land, mm -hmm. it does give you a way to, to deal with some surplus land. And I think this is a real this is built a different kind of way. This is built for a Jace control deck, which could be a very good deck if Mentor is restricted. Yeah, good point. Very good point. I think this is vintage playable, Kevin. Unless I'm missing something or just completely off my rocker. <laughs> no, I don't think you're missing anything. <laughs> I do think I did think it's going to be, you're going to get hosed by this in a couple of scenarios, but that's no real difference than thirst, for example. You get you get hosed by having a not-so-good thirst every once in a while. These things happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's put some, so let's put some numbers down. You're going to go non-zero? Um, I said it's playable. It doesn't mean that we'll see play. Right. <laughs> um, I don't think the kind of decks geez. we're talking about are very strong right now, and well, I don't think this card makes them strong. I, I like the instant speed feature. That's an advantage over Knight's Whisper. Definitely. Um, and compulsive research. Yep. I think it's. I think that land bounce part is really good with Jace. So, it's it's not gonna see play in a paradoxical outcome deck. I don't think. Mm -hmm. um, and the type of land is not restricted, so you could pick up Academy. You may really have if if paradoxical outcome and mentor are restricted, then I could see this becoming a really really good draw card in the format. Mm. But that's a lot of ifs, and I don't I don't really want to see paradoxical outcome restricted. So I think at best right now this is kind of like a tier two control deck, but I still think it's okay. In some future um, restriction world where where young pyromancer has become better, this is better than thirst. Yeah, this is a, this is a deep this is a deep card. This is deep. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be some time before we fully understand it. Um, I'm gonna go non-zero just to be safe. I'm gonna say I think there's gonna be at least one. Yeah, I <clears throat> I think your comparison to compulsive research, while humorous, is also is also helpful in the sense that Valid, this is yeah. the kind of that's the kind of quantity that we're going to see out of this card. I think at least initially. And your point about some post possible post restriction future is also. Um, is also accurate. Let's take a look at what compulsive research has done numbers wise. Let's see. So one, two, three, four, five, six. Does that include vintage challenges? Yes. In fact, that's a hundred percent vintage challenges. <laughs> there wasn't one in the NYSE top eight? Not according to this data, and the site does have okay. NYSE in it, so no. So six since um since May. Or including May. Seven, going back to the beginning of the year, well, there was one in April, too. Those, those, those first two were Andy, and then a couple of people who aren't Andy. I'm not looking at the deck lists yet, but... So, if this card sees played like that, it'll be a five or a six. Yeah, that makes me want to up my numbers. Uh, would you like to revise your statement, sir? <laughs> I'm going to go back to three. I'm going to go to three. I think that's totally reasonable. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at anywhere between zero and five on this one, or zero and six, you know. Um, I'm not sure how people, and this is just a psychological point then, I'm not sure how people are going to perceive this card. I'm not sure if everyone is going to immediately go to this playing a similar role to Gush in the whole adding 
you know, best case scenario, it adds three cards to your hand kind of scenario, and you can replay a land. Or if people are going to go to the whole, it's just draw two, discard one as a default. You know, yeah. some people may I assume mean, that returning the land is to be avoided. God, it's I, I've been using Gush for so long. <laughs> I need to remember the fact that this can return any land to hand. Yes. So you can save specialty lands like library. That's why I said you can bounce or, academy in your yeah. outcome deck. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But of course, if you're bouncing, bouncing academy, frantic search is probably better. No, it's not necessarily because frantic search is card advantage neutral. This is card advantageous, right? This is plus one card. Frantic search is plus zero. Yeah, okay. And if you had anything that oh, triggered landfall, there's yeah. not much landfall in Vintage right now, but if you did, this is relevant for that. You could pick up a land that, um, like in Lands and Legacy, you could pick up a, a Tranquil Thicket or something that cycles. <clears throat> not much of that this in card, I think this card, I feel about this card kind of the opposite of some of the earlier cards that we talked about. I feel like this card has a very high ceiling. Sure. Which is the opposite of some of the cards that we talked about, you know, recently. That's an interesting point. What do you think the the highest ceiling of this is from a format standpoint? I don't think you can play four of this card. Really? I mean, okay. Because that's a good point. What are the synergies of this card with each other? Because you're constantly losing land drops. That's why I don't think this is a mana drain card. This is not a mana drain card in my opinion. It doesn't, you've got to play it with one mana counter spells. I don't think you have. I don't think you can play this with mana. Drain. Well, that's a, it's a perfect point. One mana counter spells. It's perfect to play this. Pick up your one land, replay it, and have Pyroblaster Flusterstorm online. That's ideal, Bingo. right? And it plays yeah. perfectly with Jason deck. You, so you're already suggesting blue right. red or Jeskai slash Grixis. Yeah, you want to get rid of your surpru- your surplusage mana. Uh-huh. So this could be a Grixis Thieves kind of deck. Although card, you probably right? are playing, you're probably playing Singleton Gush in this. But your point, your point is important though. Your point is that you can't chain these. But you can't chain. You couldn't chain gushes either without fast bond. So that's nothing really new for blue draw engines. It's not like it's easy to chain thirsts or facts or gifts. You have to do those across the turn structure anyway. Yeah, it's a good point. You're you're totally right. So the ceiling for this really probably is as a four of yeah. Well, we're not going to get to that ceiling anytime soon. I think I'm. I think I'm going to take no, the under no, on I this meant, one. I meant what's the ceiling in terms of the number of decks that could be playing it over the next three months? Okay, well... That's what I'm yeah, saying. Is I, that I'm ceiling, saying I think that it has a high ceiling. Oh, well... Uh, Not necessarily... I think in, I, in, the, in the next three months, it's unlikely that the card this will see an explosion of play. Yeah. But I think like by the end of the year, this card has a potentially very high ceiling. That's what well, I would say. And it's, as you already put I, it, I wouldn't be, powerfully influenced by potential banded restricted policy. So No question. Yeah. Well... Uh, I think I'm going to take the under on three. I think I'm going to go with two. Okay. But that's, that's yeah, okay. it's, I mean, it's it's not a powerful statement on anything. No, no. Next up is Ramanop Excavator for 2G creature, Naga Cleric. You may play land cards from your graveyard. Two, three. We finally got Magus of the Crucible. <laughs> what an insane... Everyone has been badmouthing this set, but this set's actually insane. <laughs> I mean, this set, this set's real. I mean, we've just gone through a whole host of cards that we think are at least vintage playable. I mean, I, I think a braid is clearly vintage playable. Yeah. I think solemnity. I, I think hollow one is clearly vintage playable. I think solemnity is clearly vintage playable. Yeah. I think a braid and so I think a braid and hollow one will see play. I think solemnity will is potentially a very good vintage card, although the seat the floor is pretty low. Right. 
Um, and I think Tragic Lesson is clearly vintage playable, and we'll see play as well. The, the, what, what's bad about this set? I just, I mean, people have been really bad. Some of our Twitter followers have really badmouthed this set. This card is nuts. I mean, we finally have Crucible as a 2-3 creature. How is that? A, that that's clearly vintage playable. Clearly. Well, right? I, I don't think that it is clear. One, this is not a human. Two, it costs three mana. Okay. In a... Okay. It, it, well, the kind of decks it wants to go in, like five color humans, don't want to pay three mana for a two three that just gets a land back next turn, right? But in a bug <laughs> deck that has five wastelands, right, and um, death right shaman, mm-hmm. this is a turn two. This is a turn two play. Yeah, that's and true. And then you could you could you could get your opponent into a wasteland lock very quickly. Uh, that's possibly true. And and there's and there's not gushes there to save them. <laughs> They're just going to learn a lot of tragic lessons. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, I see what you did um, there. You're yeah. not wrong that this probably has a place in the Wasteland-based bug decks, but I would point out that those decks are very much on the down right now and not doing well. I think this card is probably this is playable. card advantage. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. I think it's probably I mean, playable. The bug in those decks, decks. The bug decks have used Crucible. I remember Andy Probasco played Crucible. It went. I think he played Crucible in his deck in the VSL prelim when I played against him. Mm. You want, you'd rather have a creature than Crucible, in my opinion, because oh, yeah, the, that's true. The, this is damage. That's <laughs> true. You're, you're totally right. In the, the context of that bug deck, you would rather have a creature. Um, that, I think. Not to mention the fact that this gets through Thorn, which Crucible doesn't. Yeah. Uh, it's better against Workshop decks. Workshop decks are trying to deny you mana. If you get this into play through Thorn, uh, you know, you go turn one death right, turn two this. Yep. How do you lose against a workshop deck unless they remove this? You're going to be bringing back fetchlands and wastelands every turn. I mean, seriously. Well, I can think of ways you can lose, but you're right that that is a strong. But you see point. what I'm saying. I do. You see, what I'm saying it's a very strong strategic objective against a workshop deck. It's a very strong play in a deck that basically doesn't exist right now. So how do we evaluate that? I mean, I agree with you in the sense that. I, but I think this is good against workshops. Period. That's what I'm saying. Well, but that's I think obviously this, a context-sensitive statement, right? It's not good in Mentor. It's hard. It's hard. It, two, three, it's hard for Ballista to quickly kill this true, thing. True. Very true. That's number one. Number one. So what? Number two. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not. Get, I'm only disagreeing you with you from, a, from a uh, format standpoint, not a deck this standpoint. Could also be, this could also be really insane in the Oshawa Stompy deck that we were just talking about. Imagine you play that. Play this with Null Rods, Root Mazes. I mean, my God, you know, like you, you can Ancient Tomb this, accelerate into this, or you have Elvis Spirit Guides to accelerate it, which Oshawa Stompy played. Right. The, the last time Deathrite Shaman made a top eight above 16 people was in April. Yeah, Oshawa Stompy would probably not be playing with Deathrite Shaman, I'm guessing. No, but it could right? play it's gonna be, And it also has synergy with Bizarre because you're going to be dumping all these sick artifacts. I mean, sick lands into your graveyard. True. So if you can go like, I don't know, turn one Bizarre into Hollow One, turn two... You know, land mocks uh, Simeon Spirit Guide. This, you know, or you could play this on turn one against Thorns. I mean, it just seems insane. It just seems really. I think what I'm focused on is there is a paucity of great cards against workshops. This is a very good card against workshops. It's a, it's a, it's a body that's hard for workshops to remove. It gets through all the Thorn and Thali effects. Yep. And once it hits play, you can start. You re, you can go either way against the workshops, wastelanding them or expanding your mana base over time. Well, I look forward to playing this card after one or two more banned and restricted announcements. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's already playable against workshops. Well, if you could, let's. I want to I want to tease that out though. It, it, okay, well, are you going to play this at your next tournament? Well, I play Jeskai Mentor, so no. 
okay, <laughs> you and you know 60% of the rest of the metagame aren't going to play this card because it's green and a creature, right? So your point of it's vintage playable, but it isn't going to see It's primarily play. because it's green, not because it's a creature, but yes. <laughs> right. Yes. It's because it's the combination of those two oh, things. Crucible, Crucible is one of the most, I mean, is, is a fundamental card in the format. Because it it's costs a three fundam- and it's an artifact. That's a significant portion of the reason why that's the case. Like, what yeah, other it, deck that doesn't go, have Mishra's true. Workshop even plays it? I just already said, the bug the bug deck has Crucibles I mean, in the sideboard. That's that's not universally the case. The traditional bug decks do not have Crucible. Just because Andy Probosco has done a thing, it's no, not I know, a standard. I know, I'm just saying, I, I know. It's, it's, I'm I mean, just saying, Crucible is played in workshops and it's but played this in is Landstil. Better, but this is better. Well, there's another possibility in kind of like a bug Landstill deck. That seems pretty insane, actually. Well, that's interesting, except you're inventing new decks. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> well, suggest well, that a new deck can't I mean, be Andy, built. I'm just tr- J- trying to Josh get to Josh Pachusek has played three and four color Blandstill in this color, and I think he's top, top. you know, he's put results in dailies in this color configuration. I could easily see Landstill sideboarding this except or even Landstil playing it main deck. might still just want Crucible if they're the sort of Landstill deck to also be sideboarding the Supreme Verdict, for example. That's fair. I mean, but I I don't think bug or, or four color landstill is going to be. I mean, look, they all have trade offs, right? Yeah, I mean, they do. You know, being an artifact makes it vulnerable to I don't know a braid. A stuff, yeah. I guess a braid can still kill this too. And but. this card is a better <laughs> thing to put down before a standstill. I mean, that's simply true. I'll give you that. So in a deathrite yeah. based landstill deck like Dave Williams played in the VSL that one time, this would be exactly. this would be a cool card. Absolutely. I just. I don't think I don't think there's any doubt this is vintage playable. You agree with that? I do. I just am worried about how long it's going to be until it's played. That's all. I I really like this card. I think it's really strong against workshops. I think it's where you want to be against workshops with Nullrod. Yeah. Um, I think it's yeah. I just think it's a it's a very powerful combo. Um, it's better than Crucible against workshops in my opinion. Um, I think your point is very well taken. The metagame is so narrow right now. There really isn't an obvious place. If there is a place, it's a t- it's a lower tier deck. Yeah. So the ceiling in the immediate term, the ceiling is pretty low. But in the long term, this is a this is a the kind of card I would definitely pick up and put in your binder for future vintage play. Yes, I would agree with you there. And in a future banner restricted environment, Bug is poised to make a return. Leovold is still an amazing vintage card. Yes, Dark yes. Dark with, Confidant is still it, an amazing vintage card. It, Deathrite Shaman yeah. is certainly playable. As soon as Mentor is restricted, this card could see a lot of play. Could be. Very much. Could I, be. I still think it's non-zero. I would be surprised if this does not appear in a top eight anywhere. Really? I you're you're zero. I'm going to go one just to take the over. I would be shocked. I mean, not to appear into a cyborg somewhere. Look, the April um, European Vintage Championship I think had a bug a bug control deck in the top eight. I believe there was a bug control deck in the top four, in fact. And I could easily see this fitting in that. Yeah, deck. Yeah, that was the last major appearance of Deathrite Shaman that you're thinking of. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Right. I wasn't saying Deathrite Shaman, but it, it probably was there. Well, we were. So I'm gonna. Yeah, we were referring to the same thing when we were talking, though. Yeah, that was the Eternal Weekend champ yeah. had third place uh, Bugfish. Um, and you're 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 make a good point about the fact that this is a decent sideboard card for a few different decks. Like if you know if someone can sideboard a Manglehorn in Oath, then then this card yes. is sideboardable and a yes. few other things too. Yeah. Absolutely. Well. I mean, if, in fact, that's kind of ironic, right? I mean, this could be like, a, you know, you sideboard out the oath plan and it reinforces punishing fire. <laughs> that's true. You're right. I mean, it does. It, does. it makes punishing fire. I mean, you can keep playing those lands anyway. Yep, you're right. You get land drops. You can you can replay them if someone's wastelanded your pun- your um what is the what's the land the grove of the war- burn right. willows. Well, there's yeah. no denying that crucible is a useful effect in vintage. 
So it's a very powerful effect. We will be seeing this card in the long, long term. We didn't even talk about someone pairing this with Fastbond, but we won't go there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on though. Bantu's Last Reckoning. One BB Sorcery. Destroy all creatures. Lands you control don't untap during your next untap step. Steve. So the obvious point of comparison is Toxic Deluge. Yes. I didn't make this compare. I didn't make the statement. We were talking mechanics for this set, but this is part of a cycle that everyone's probably aware of. One for each god. The, that is one for each of the five original Amonkhet gods, where they have some powerful effect for a reduced cost, and your lands don't untap. This ability, or this restriction, I should say, lands not untapping, is at its least restrictive in vintage, thanks to the accelerance that we have. Right. Uh, you could go dark ritual and, and play this and destroy all the mentors yep. and monks, and and really the land thing isn't that big of a deal at that point and the mana cost though i think is the bigger deal because one bb yeah is 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 restrictive in today's standard because we don't have a grixis a standard grixis deck and esper mentor is definitely on the decline at the moment it's almost completely fallen out of favor and producing double black is is hard enough you know esper mentor was still didn't want a card like this they still probably would have preferred toxic deluge in many cases but let's maybe we should set aside the difficulty of the mana cards for the moment and talk about where you would want this over Deluge, right? Because that's going to be a key yeah. question when everyone's considering this card. Well, I think one of the answers to that is that Deluge suffers from the fact that you have to pay a lot of light mm-hmm. to make it work, which is kind of weak when you're facing, I don't know, like Ballista-type effects. And Ravager. Um, and Ravager. Yeah. That's totally so, a good point. When you're trying to Deluge a, a workshop player's board... You are sometimes put in a situation where you you don't you, you can't reasonably pay enough life because any number you choose they could just sack their whole board and keep a ravager alive and this card completely right. circumvents that. A similar to a lesser degree situation goes for mentor right. You have to play a bit of a game of chicken with how many spells you think they can launch off in response that could potentially keep a mentor alive. This this spell doesn't have that problem. Is there any scenario where this spell is a uh, as at a disadvantage to Deluge though? from a destroy versus minus X minus X standpoint. Certainly. I mean, you've just implied it light, by light what steel you just Colossus. said. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not necessarily a sure thing, but toxic deluge can kill blightsteel Colossus where this cannot. Are there others? I'm hard pressed to think of another indestructible. I, don't, I can't think of it. Yeah. I can't think of any other indestructible cards, creatures that currently see play it's been a long time since the workshops played an indestructible creature. This is an ext- extremely fringe vintage playable, but I do think it is fringe vintage playable. It would definitely be, I think, preferred in a deck like DPS, right? Yeah, or Burning Wish Target, yeah. you know, where you don't want to balance, but you've got plenty of mana. Yep. And you just need to wipe out your opponent's, you know, Thalias and all that nonsense or something. Right. And also in those decks, when you're trying to bank on Necro and or Gristlebrand and or Bargain, then the not paying life for Deluge is a welcome benefit. And mm-hmm. usually those decks feature, well, okay, so the Burning Wish decks feature Rainbow Lands typically, so the mana cost is not that bad. The DPS decks, and Mox Opals. Right, the DPS yeah. decks feature a heavier black component and Rituals, so in both cases the mana cost is much they less They both play Rituals, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. I think that when and if Burning Wish uh, makes a return, that this is a pretty clear choice for a sideboard card for this role, and Dark Petition... Uh, just had a surprise performance recently. In fact, we talked about it earlier. So this card could easily see play as a sideboard card in Dark Petition Storm. Oh, also Ad Nauseum. Similarly, not interested yeah, in paying no life. Land. <laughs> and no and land. And no land. Oh, that's right. So this it, this card wins on almost all fronts for Ad Nauseum. 
That's interesting. Wow. Cool. So I feel like this card is going to be is going to see scant vintage play at the moment. How how, how much toxic? How much has Toxic Deluge seen play in, of late? Let me give us a reference point. Yeah, let me double check that Toxic. So we have to consider main deck and sideboard play in the case of Deluge. Since the beginning of May, there have been two main deck appearances in Tesserator lists for Toxic Deluge, and in the case of sideboard results. Again, since the beginning of May and above 16 players, there have been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, nine plus two. Interesting. I I think I wonder also if this is just much. It obviously is. This is much better against Harsh Mentor Delver decks because they. uh, Sure. Your life is so precious. Um, But as you said, this costs one more black. I'm going to go non-zero, given the numbers you just put on Toxic Daily. Sure. I can't can't go zero, but I went first last time, so now it's your turn. Well, given that a number of those uh, Deluge appearances were in Tesserator lists, which are going to be a little disinclined to try and play black-black for something. Not impossible, don't get me wrong, but I think some people might shy away from it. So I'm looking at about... I don't know, 20 to 50% of those people adopting this card. A number of those appearances were also in paradoxical lists, which I think, despite the fact that they actually have access to Mox Opal, they're probably also disinclined to look for Black Black in some cases. So I think half or less, which would to me suggest um, three, I think, plus or minus a few. Yeah, I'll go with three. Okay, I'll take the under. I'll go two. Okay. Won't be surprised again. I mean, we've said this a number of times already, but I won't be surprised between zero and five on this one. People are slow to adopt new things. Some people are excited by it. And if another DPS, I, I mean, if DPS comes up, I would I would be surprised if it didn't switch to this for that particular deck, but that deck is pretty rare. Next up is Firebrand Archer. One red creature, human archer. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, Firebrand Archer deals one damage to each opponent. Two, one. So, it's the storm card that you play first. We've talked about a number of creatures that fell into this kind of model in the past, right? The storm entities of the world. And obviously it bears comparison to Young Pyromancer. Would you rather have the damage or the token? You've played Pyro Gush in a number of events, high-profile events. How do you feel about this? Well, it is interesting that this is more efficient than some of the similar effects. But it's it's... So what are the, what are the points of comparison, right? I mean, there's um, of course, what's the red red one cre- creature that that you have to attack to get the oh, to get this effect? Yeah, you're talking about the um, oh, it just left my mind. The Scab Clan, right? Scab Clan Berserker. But that's yeah, right? that's not your spells. That's your opponent's spells. No, no, no. It is. It is. It's your opponent's yeah. spells. But but they both fall into the class that that when spells are played, your opponent takes damage. Right. 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 <laughs> um, As opposed to token generation. Right. I think. This first of all, a two-one body for two mana is pretty efficient. It's pretty good. Yep. Um, I I don't think I don't think this the doing direct damage at one damage a pop is preferable to generating tokens. I think the token generation is better because you're gonna get more damage in the long run with Pyromancer than you will with this, especially with both Gush and Probe restricted. Now, if this dealt two damage whenever you cast a non-creature spell, I think the calculus it becomes a much closer question. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's my that's where I land. Yep. I think that's totally fair. As pertains to a comparison directly with Young Pyromancer, I think Young Pyromancer wins for what the reasons you stated and for a few others. Because Pyromancer plays defense too, right? In a way that this can't. Um, 
I also would like to point out, though, the interaction, not so much interaction, but redundancy with Harsh Mentor. And it could be that an even more heavily damage-based blue-red Delver-style list could emerge with more things that are just trying to go straight to the dome, right? Turn all your bolts into four. Sure. That kind of thing. That's true. Um, I'm not... I, I'm not saying that's necessarily correct, but we also have to think about a potential, you know, banner restricted world where mentor is not the standard anymore. Um, in that world, though, I think you still have a, a difficult decision between this and young pyromancer, and I think a lot of people yeah, would still I, choose pyromancer. I would, I would certainly choose pyromancer. But it has a lot to do also with the other, you know, the rest of the metagame. For example, workshops being so heavily hinging on ballista but also playing things like precursor golem at an increased rate lately puts a greater emphasis on token creatures because precursor golem is a heck of a hit if you don't block some of it but there could totally be a different world where workshops goes in a different direction and maybe storm combo like dps or something becomes more prevalent at which point you might overvalue damaging your opponent immediately as opposed to putting a token on the board it's, yeah. it's hard to predict but as of right now i totally agree with you do you think this is even going to get any play between now and the next set no yeah i'm inclined to agree i'm going to go zero as well it, i mean there, it could be uh, hmm. i don't think it's even good enough in those mono red hate decks <laughs> because <laughs> because they all have creatures um yeah it's tough you'd have to really have a lot of spell celerity yeah, I don't. I don't see it. Yeah, you'd have to like cut the Delvers from a Delver shell almost, and play more of yeah. a, a stormish, like Manamorphose kind of thing. If Probe hadn't been restricted, I think this card would have been well. This card would be a lot better if you could play a four Probe kind of burning burn deck, but whatever. Next up is Scavenger Grounds Land Desert. Tap to add C to your mana pool. Two generic and tap. Sacrifice a desert. Exile all cards from all graveyards. So you've got a colorless land that acts as a relic of Progenitus for two mana and tap, which is no which is no small amount of cost, of course. Effectively three mana. And you it it's going to exile itself after you activate it, so you can't exactly recur it with Crucible. But do you think that workshops or other decks would want a land-based anti-dredge card? Like this? Well, there's Bazooka Bog, which already does, you know, the difference between Bazooka Bog and this, the main difference is that, is that Bazooka Bog does it when Bazooka Bog comes into play, mm -hmm. whereas you can actually time this. But I think the mana activation cost, it's interesting. You, you make a good point. I mean, it is, it's very difficult for Dredge to remove this, right? True. And none of their current hate, with, anti hate, I mean, uh, interacts with this. But there are a lot of hands where you're not going to be able to use this. Like a double workshop hand with this yeah. is a nightmare. Well, you know, you'd rather just have. It's it's worth noting too that this is in the functional equivalent to Tormod's Crypt in effect, and and experienced work. Uh, sorry, experienced dredge players know how to play around a Tormod's Crypt, and they would know how to play around this to a degree. Yeah, but this helps. This it, helps. It, I mean, the fact that you yeah. can recur it with Crucible is also really no, nice. No, you can't though. I'm sorry. It sacrifices. It exiles yeah, itself. It would. A single one of these can't be recurred. Some other interaction, like discarding it to Bizarre, etc., yes, you could bring it back, but by itself, no, you can't recur it. Yeah, I just don't think it's going to see play over Crypt or Progenitus, but I could be wrong. If it could be recurred, it would be a lot better, because then you could just keep doing it. But. Yeah, I'm just I'm just wondering, is there any way that one of these would see main deck play to help support the sideboard, the sideboard strategy of Dredge? Does this have <laughs> enough value against the rest of the metagame to main deck? You know, it, it disrupts delve 
Oh God, th- th- there's so much competition. Yeah. For the kind of vanilla, I mean not vanilla, but this utility tap for one <laughs> mana land. Right. I mean, Inventor's it seems Fair. like with every set, yeah, there's Inventor's Fair. There's um, what's the Buried Ruin? It just seems like with every set, there's more and more competition at that slot, right. and we're always debating. You know, are people going to test something at that slot? Right. And I think almost every time they never have. Well, so, <laughs> Inventor's Fair was a, certainly an exception. No, but there was uh, like two or three other cards yeah. like that that we that we evaluated that didn't. I show remember up. us talking about Gyro Reach Sanitarium. <laughs> exactly, yeah. but that's different. That's a different card. Uh, but I don't think we were. But it serves your point. It, okay. I I won't I won't I won't quibble over that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're right, though. I think that overall we've talked about a lot of lands in this category we've said the same kind of words about a lot of them and i also don't think that workshops needs help with the dredge matchup enough to justify this over any one of the choice du jour at the moment inventors fair definitely established itself for a while has fallen out of favor a bit but i don't think this is more attractive than that and yeah i think it's as simple as that the fact that it has dissynergy with crucible i think it might be uh might be the cincher. If we were in a super heavy delve format, still maybe. But even then, it's it's a really weak play to spend two mana and sack this to just disrupt delve. When are you, when are you going to do that on turn three when they've got three cards or four cards? That's weak. That's a weak, yeah. and it's also slow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm sold that this is not going to be a I, thing. I think I think you'd probably just rather use Bazooka Bog. Right. You could wasteland your Bazooka Bog. Right. And then replay Bazooka Bog. Right. Uh. Yes. You're absolutely right. Bajuka you Bog can recur Bazooka Bog. Yeah. Yeah, it only it only spikes one graveyard. Yes, you're correct. Well, you know, if grasping dunes can make a sideboard slot in Dark Petition Storm, then anything is possible. But I think I'm going to go ahead with say zero on this one. And our last card for this set review is Nimble Obstructionist for two U creature bird wizard, which I have an affinity for. Flash flying cycling for two U, same as its mana cost. When you cycle Nimble Obstructionist counter target activated or triggered ability you don't control and it's 3-1 so this has the body of a and the behavior of a vendillion click you know one less blue but it's the 3-1 flash flyer still as effective as ever against planeswalkers and a flying over uh, monk tokens but there's this whole other interaction with countering activated abilities or triggered abilities for the same as the mana cost which is a neat synergy given that if you're holding this up to play it on their turn, you're also holding it up to stifle on their turn, which means you you don't really sacrifice one for the other until you choose to put it into play. So we know that Vendillion Click is a well-played card. Many different decks, many different roles as a one or a two of. Frequently disruptive because of its come into play ability. But this thing can shut off an activation of a Planeswalker. It could shut off the trigger from a Dark Depths. The activation of a waster strip, a fetch land. It could shut off the triggered ability from um, Arcbound Ravager. We've talked at a few junctures in the past about how Stifle is a useful effect in Vintage, but doesn't justify the card. Do you think this changes the calculus on that statement anymore? Well, let me flip it back to you. What do you think? I think it's interesting. If this stifled for one mana, I think I would say yeah. yes, because of the additional yeah. flexibility that this card has. But the fact that you have to pay three for the stifle effect is probably the nail in the coffin for this thing. And what are you stifling in this format right now? I mean, it, you know what I mean? Everything is so granular. Um, you could stifle, it's, it's, yeah, you, I mean, don't, you could stifle Jason Deck. You don't get a, 
Yeah, you, that's my point is that everything is, you know, all the activated abilities in the format right now that I can think of are things that are recursive or small bore. Yeah. Like you don't want to stifle like a use of walking ballista or right. a ravager. Right. You know, it's like. Well, I would I would say you're, I agree with you. Stifling a wasteland is nice. Stifling a ravager trigger, not the activation, but a ravager trigger is nice because that's frequently for a handful of counters. And this thing is just a real a real backbreaker against oath, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can stifle the oath trigger, or you can stifle a gristlebrand activation, or you can stifle an emerical trigger. That's true. There's plenty of That's activations true, but, against but oath, oath. But but even oath illustrates the point. I mean, yes. <laughs> I'd al- you almost. I'm not saying you would, but you almost would rather stifle a gristlebrand activation <laughs> than, uh, than well encounter than an oath. Yeah, I'm, I see your point. You see my point. I do. Yeah. You're right. It's, it's a lot of things are just incremental and not worth spending three mana to stop. You're, you're totally right. There's a reason why all these things are played in vintage because they're summative, right? You play them for the yep. interactions. They're cumulative. You know. Yeah. So from that standpoint, you would you would much rather have a Vendillion click to to more concretely disrupt someone's hand than this one stifle. Um, so I I think that it's just overcosted. The body is nice. If the stifle cost one, I think we'd be talking. Because then you could be talking about things more like land screwing your opponent with a turn one fetch land, that kind of thing. You know, the ways that Stifle is really a gotcha in Legacy. But at three mana, it's just, I mean, if you could every turn pay three mana to stop Jace's activation, would you? I'm not entirely sure that you would every turn. (laughs) That's a lot, a lot of mana. No, it wouldn't be worth it. Okay, maybe a Planeswalker is a bad example because this thing would theoretically just kill a Jace after one activation but you see my point yeah no i, I don't think this is going anywhere i'm gonna predict zero Inter- interesting card but it's just overcosted in terms of the uh, the cycling ability it's nice though that you do get a card out of it that's true you draw a card i wouldn't be surprised if at some point in a in a not too distant future we're talking about stifle again in vintage if yeah if if at some point there's a combo i guess you could stifle the trigger on dark depths yeah that's not the worst yes you can but what I'm what I was gonna say is that if we get to the point in vintage where there's a big activated or triggered ability that that's kind of game decisive, yeah, like dragon, that, that, yeah, they can't be they can't be recurred like oath. Then we could see stifle effects return. But it's been some time since we've had anything like that. Yep, I agree completely. If something like dragon or rector comes back, then we might talk. Yeah, like rector is a really good example. Right. That was a that was a time when stifle saw a lot of play. Yeah. Well, that does it for hour of Des- devastation. We'd like to ask. Yeah, we did. We did not talk about a bunch of other cards that may be fringe. Like we didn't talk about Razakath, the foul-blooded, right? Which I won't describe, but but is would be very interesting if you, it could sacrifice itself. Yeah. Because then it would be a, like a, a nice little oath tutor. But because it's you have to sacrifice another creature, it's not ver- not playable in oath as an oath creature. Um, were there any other cards that I thought were interesting, or that you thought were interesting that we didn't discuss that you might want to just mention in passing, Kevin? Well, let me see. We we didn't. We didn't talk. Actually, we didn't talk about Bloodwater Entity. I think we have to. Okay. Blood Bloodwater Entity is creature elemental. It costs one colorless blue red, flying prowess. We all know what prowess is. Two two, and it has the ability when Bloodwater Entity enters the battlefield, you may put target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard on top of your library. Three mana two two flyer with prowess that can recur an instant or sorcery. I think this card's pretty interesting, especially in a time when the DAC Delve draw engine, all of it, almost all of its key components are restricted, Kevin. Mm-hmm. So with this card, you could put this into play for three mana, 
you know, as like a, a 2-2 flyer that has prowess that gets bigger when you play spells. And you could put, I don't know, like Dig or Ancestral or Treasure Cruise on top of your library, even Time Walk, and get some value out of it. In fact, you could chain Time Walks, theoretically, with this card because it doesn't exile them. It just puts it on top of your library. Mm-hmm. Um, is I, I can't think of anything else that... Recur- I mean, there's obviously Snapcaster Mage that can recur things. Is there anything in, in Jace Fringe Prodigy? But this does so in a way that is actually recursive as opposed to just a one more use. Right. As you and, as you put and, it, you can chain these together and play the same effect multiple turns in a row. Right. And this card is a real threat. I mean, we've seen prowess effect cards see play like Seeker of the Way and, you know, Mentor gets to 5566 five, six fairly easily. True. And this one has flying. Yeah, it's got evasion. It has the weakness to Pyroblast in that it is a blue creature, unfortunately, so it'll be easily to remove. But that, but that gives it the advantage of being able to pitch it to force or misdirection. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and being flying means it can fly over and you know hit like Jace or Dak. In a world in where a we have access to Mentor and Snapcaster and uh, Vendillion Click and the things that are currently well, played, I can't see this a- seeing play. But there is a big difference with Snapcaster and Jace Fringe Prodigy. As I said, it's that you get more uses out of it. So you get, you get, you know, whatever you're recurring, you get... I mean, it's not difficult to think you play this, you put something on top like Gush, and then you dack into the Gush. Right. You know, and, and obviously Snapcaster Mage can't can't allow you to replay Gush. Right. Well, so, you make a fair point. And the current decks are pretty well set up to draw into a thing you've put on top with some I guess, reliability. Exactly. I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot of value on recursion right now. Like in in my deck, I'm playing with three Jace Fringe Prodigy and one Snapcaster Mage. I could see adding more, you know. And, and and this is a threat in the process and an answer to you know other Planeswalkers. I'm not saying I would play this, but it strikes me this card is not patently unplayable. That's fair, and it's unattractive to bounce this with Jace. Right. You get the you get the uh, get to replay it. Yeah. Well. I would be surprised if this saw any play in the near future, but at some at some point in the future, when the creature if, landscape if, of the format has changed, it might. Right, like if mentors restricted, I could easily see playing this and like two pyromancers as your with one mentor is your creature configuration. Could maybe be. a Vendillion click as well. Could be. I, I really like this card. I mean, just the fact that you can recur time walks seems pretty insane to me, frankly. <laughs> serious well we're not without that mechanic today right we have eternal witness and regrowth as unrestricted yeah, effects but, but not in not in jeskai and not in those those cards are hard to put in the dac delve engine the dac delve engine re, you know relies a lot on exiling a ton of cards so regrowth and eternal witness i mean obviously that these cards are all, all harmed by that but i think the idea of i don't know I just don't see green. Green is pretty weak in the format right now. It's in fact it's extremely weak. Right. So recursion in blue and red is is gets an additional boost. I'm not saying this will see play, but I think it's at least worth mentioning. I think it's vintage playable. I think it's a future vintage card. I assume you're a zero since you didn't put it on the list. <laughs> Absolutely, but we should keep um, an eye on it. I'm I'm on the fence. I might want to go non-zero on this, but I'll. Hmm, I actually think this card is pretty interesting. Oh. What are you gonna, gonna What are you gonna cut from a current deck to put one in? That's that's the question. I could easily see just adding, you know, playing one Snapcaster and one this because the versatility of having the Flyer and the Prowess I think is pretty interesting. I mean, for, let me give you an example where this might be really good. The Harsh Mentor deck is like if you could play this, you could. It's almost like it's so homogenous, it's so uniform that you get the best one, the best card back, and then you just have like a five-five the next turn, and you get your best spell. That seems pretty busted to me, honestly. <laughs> 
I could see this. I get in a Delver type deck, I guess. Um, but I'm just not convinced either. I think I think you make good points about Snapcaster and Jace. I'll go I'll go zero right now, but I, I don't feel good about it. <laughs> well, I encourage our listeners to take a look at Bloodwater Entity and then and see what they think. Any other cards that struck your fancy that our that our well, Twitter followers Com- didn't mention? Crook of Combination is kind of like a, a bad relic, but it does dodge mental misstep, which Pitch Dredge sometimes uses. So if you're a workshop player, I guess... I mean, it's it's just worse than Relic, but it might... You know, if you're concerned about mental misstep, it's at least notable in that regard, right? Uh, that's true. Um, do the... Yeah, you're right. You're yeah, right about that. The the other card that just... I don't think it's playable, but it is interesting, is Hostile Desert. Um, um, I need to back up, though, and point out that Crook of Condemnation's first activated ability is better than Relic's first ability. But it also has a mana cost. It has a cost. mana cost, you yeah. To, yeah, you get to choose the art of the card that's exiled. Right. So it's not strictly inferior to Relic. There are scenarios... So one of the things about Relic is that it, invariably, Dredge has superfluous cards in their discard pile, right? It's almost always, a, <laughs> with view exceptions, they could discard something that they're never going to get back anyway. An excess bizarre for the right. non-petrified uh, field lists, etc., etc. But there are cards that you can really right. pinpoint and, and slow them dramatically. Precisely. If yeah. they get a certain combination of draws, a Crook of Condemnation could actually slow them down for multiple turns by taking away critical cards before you blow it right and if you're lucky enough to get to that point and you put a second one down it could actually get really difficult for them to overcome two targeted removals per turn on the other hand i have seen workshop decks use relic of progenitus sideboarded in in matchups where they don't have enough good cards to sideboard in so they'll bring it in they'll bring it in like over a sphere in the workshop mirror or something because it can be eaten with Ravager and Cycle. That's a very but, good point. This does not fill that role at all. So, but but it does dodge misstep. Yeah. <laughs> so, and in anyway, the other card that I thought was at least of in, of note, if not of interest, was Hostile Desert because, um, like, it is interesting. There aren't a lot of you know for one more mana you get a three four elemental creature instead of like a two two factory creature. I'm not saying you would play that ever over factory, but. <laughs> I did think, like, you know, sometimes these lands actually do matter in different matchups, like like Landsill or something. I don't know. So I wouldn't necessarily play that, but I thought it was an interesting card. Um, I have seen Landsill before, in recent years even, play with one Treetop Village main deck, and even sometimes Fairy Conclave. 3-4 um, is, is not small. Yes, uh, tree, uh, Treetop Village was funny, but Fairy Conclave has become something of a standard. It's very common to see as a one-of. Right. Not saying these are any cards that we should be talking about. Oh, and the last card that I thought was just a notable was uh, Unesh, which has a factor fiction effect when it comes into play, but with only four cards. Unesh, the uh, legendary Sphinx. Right. Krios, right. Krios Sphinx Sovereign. It's six mana. Again, I don't think it's better. Isn't there another factor fiction card in the format, Kevin? Yes, there is, but I can't think of the name of it at the moment. Yeah. Anyway, pretty. I actually I really like the set in a lot of ways, but we'll see. It, I, I'm very excited about our next set review because I not because of the next set but because I really want to see how these cards actually play out what yes, happens this will be whether an interesting vintage, one whether vintage is sort sort of so screwed up at the moment that a lot of these really interesting cards don't make it or whether these cards kind of like appear in fringe ways so we'll see well our question for this episode is pretty clearly which hour of devastation card do you think will see the most vintage play our next uh 
podcast will be the first three-month metagame review post-restriction. We will be looking at cards that would be candidates for unrestriction. So another question for feedback is, do you think there's anything in the current vintage restricted list that merits serious consideration for unrestriction? And if so, be sure to mention it to us either by Twitter or email before our next recording, which will be in a couple of weeks. And with that... Thank you for listening to episode 68 of So Many Insane Plays. You can tweet us at Many Insane Plays or email us at So Many Insane Plays Podcast at gmail.com. As always, and until next time, we wish you many insane plays. We get to not game protection game! <laughs> <laughs>